Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Norman. I am joined this week by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Jerry McCauley, absent, watching a pre-season friendly in Preston. Dark times. Uh, if, if you're one of our number of foreign listeners and you don't know what pre-season friendly in Preston means, don't look it up. It's, it's quite depressing and... Yeah. and you won't understand anyway. I don't know why you do that to yourself. No. Yeah. No. It could be... It would be more enjoyable, actually, talking about film with us. The yeah, genuine how, how bad it is. <laughs> well, I, saw a, I saw a pre-season friendly this week between AFC Bournemouth and Real Madrid, so... Oh, fancy. Get you, yeah, yeah. get you. I'm, I'm seeing one against uh, Leicester versus Monaco on Saturday. That's not bad. Monaco. Monaco, big player. Yeah, I've got a few big players now, so that'll be interesting. But Birmingham actually came down to Oxford at the last weekend, and I didn't even couldn't even be asked to find out what the score was plastic. at the end of it. Yeah. Imagine being a plastic Birmingham I fan. That's just... When I was growing up, the choice of clubs I could support were Villa, <laughs> Birmingham, Wolves, or West Brom. So I was kind of like stuffed from a very young age, really. It's not a yeah. great selection, is it? Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is a film podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not born offside, and, is it? No. Oh. Thank God. And this week, we are reviewing the uh, our main review is the new Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, Nick Frost film, The World's End. But before that, we've like always got what we've been watching. Um, but we're going to start off, no quiz this week, because Jerry's not here and it's not fair to for other people to get points on the board if he can't defend himself. So we're going to go straight into the news, aren't we, James? Yeah, straight into the news. Uh, Comic-Con going on at the moment over in... Is it San Diego? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, San Diego. Uh, load of announcements on a load of things, but um, we'll start off with the big one, which, it, you know when those announcements in the world of film and comic books that cross over into like normal media and you get people like The Guardian reporting on it and stuff like that? There was one of those announcements. And I'll be honest, fair play to them, it, I think it took everyone by surprise, and that is that um, DC and, is it Warner Brothers? Warner Brothers, yep. Yeah, thank you. Um, have announced that the what is essentially the the Man of Steel sequel that they had been talking about. Yep, we're going into production. It's it's Superman versus Batman. Um, Zack Snyder in the director's chair again. David S. Goyer writing it, and based on a comic, was it the Dark Knight Returns? Well. Based on the some of the ideas behind the Dark Knight Returns or something like that, I'll hand over to our resident <laughs> comics expert. Well, it's behind uh, based. Uh, it came out basically Scott Snyder, um, not Scott. Sorry, he writes the Batman comics. Who am I talking about? Zack Snyder. He yeah. um, quoted a line from 
the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, oh, bloody hell, I'm getting my words mixed up. Dark Knight Returns, which yeah. is a comic written by Frank Miller uh, from the 80s, which basically turned around uh, how people saw Batman, turned him into this Dark Knight again. Uh, actually, Jerry's got a brilliant piece about it on the critics website if you search for it he has indeed hasn't yeah. he yes um, yeah. but it's uh, yeah he quoted a line from there which is where Batman and Superman are in a little bit of a scrap and so it's it's interesting that they took a line I think from a comic which is about Batman when he's old and retired and Superman who's sort of become a government like puppet and now they're using this in the first sequel to the Man of Steel films. Mm. It's interesting because it's just so completely opposite, I think. So I am looking forward to seeing how they managed to get that range and whether it was just the fact... Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Norman. I am joined this week by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Jerry McCauley, absent, watching a pre-season friendly in Preston. Dark times. Uh, if, if you're one of our n- number of foreign listeners and you don't know what pre-season friendly in Preston means, don't look it up. It's, it's quite depressing and... Yeah. and you won't understand anyway. I don't know why you do that to yourself. No. Yeah. No. It could be... It would be more enjoyable, actually, talking about film with us. The yeah, genuine how point. bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, saw a, I saw a pre-season friendly this week between AFC Bournemouth and Real Madrid, so... Oh, fancy. Get you, yeah, yeah. get you. I'm, I'm seeing one against uh, Leicester versus Monaco on Saturday. That's not bad. Monaco. Monaco, big player. Yeah, I've got a few big players now, so that'll be interesting. But Birmingham actually came down to Oxford at the last weekend, and I didn't even couldn't even be asked to find out what the score was plastic. at the end of it. Yeah. Imagine being a plastic Birmingham I fan. That's <laughs> when I was growing up, the choice of clubs I could support were Villa, Birmingham, Wolves, or West Brom. So I was kind of like stuffed from a very young age, really. It's not yeah. a great selection, is it? Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is a film podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not born offside, and, is it? No. Oh. Thank God. And this week, <laughs> we are reviewing the... Uh, our main review is the new Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, Nick Frost film, The World's End. But before that, we've, like, always got what we've been watching. Um, but we're going to start off... No quiz this week, because Jerry's not here, and it's not fair to for other people to get points on the board if he can't defend himself. So we're going to go straight into the news, aren't we, James? Yeah, straight into the news. Uh, Comic-Con going on at the moment over in... Is it San Diego? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, San Diego. Uh, load of announcements on a load of things, but um, we'll start off with the big one, which... It, you know when those announcements in the world of film and comic books that cross over into like normal media and you get people like The Guardian reporting on it and stuff like that? There was one of those announcements. And I'll be honest, fair play to them, it, I think it took everyone by surprise, and that is that... Um, DC and is it Warner Brothers? Warner Brothers, yep. Yeah, thank you. Um, have announced that the what is essentially the the Man of Steel sequel that they had been talking about. Yep, we're going into production. It's it's Superman versus Batman. Um, Zack Snyder 
in the director's chair again, David S. Goyer writing it, and based on a comic, was it The Dark Knight Returns? Well, based on the some of the ideas behind The Dark Knight Returns or something like that. I'll hand over to our resident <laughs> comics expert. Well, it's behind, uh, based, uh, it came out basically Scott Snyder, um, not Scott, sorry, he writes the Batman comics, who am I talking about? Zack Snyder. He yeah. um, quoted a line from uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, oh, bloody, I'm getting my words mixed. <laughs> Dark Knight Returns, which yes. is a comic written by Frank Miller uh, from the 80s, which basically turned around uh, how people saw Batman, turned him into this dark knight again. Uh, actually, Jerry's got a brilliant piece about it on the uh, Critics website if you search for it. He has indeed, hasn't yeah. he? Yes. Um, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, he quoted a line from there, which is where Batman and Superman are in a little bit of a scrap. And so it's it's interesting that they took a line, I think, from a comic, which is about Batman when he's old and retired, and Superman, who's sort of become a government-like puppet. And now they're using this in the first sequel to the Man of Steel films. Mm. It's interesting because it's just so completely opposite, I think. So I'm, I am yeah. looking forward to seeing how they managed to get that range and whether it was just the fact that it was just a line from a popular comic and they wanted to promote the film saying, oh, won't it be cool when we have Superman and Batman punching each other? Um, yeah. And how Possible. much it's going to be based on that comic, I don't know, because I can't imagine mm. it being too too heavily reliant on. I think because um, obviously Nolan's producing again. Uh, or executive producing at the very least, and Goya's writing again. And with the Batman trilogy, they did take elements from different classic um, stories, didn't they? So they maybe, did, yeah. May, yeah, maybe it's they're taking a few elements from this story, and they'll take a few from somewhere else, and they'll they'll bring a bit of it to themselves. I'll be part of me is dreading the fact that we've got two years of people constantly <laughs> talking about this film now, completely overshadowing everything else. Part of me, you know, I'm one of the people that wasn't that impressed by Man of Steel, uh, but I'm, I will give it a second chance in the next year or so. Um, but, you know, Batman Superman could be awesome. Could be, yeah, I, I'm quite... In a, I'm, part of me is quite excited by it. Part of me is a bit jaded and cynical because I'm an old man, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see... We'll see how that turns up. But obviously Christian Bale has already announced that he's definitely not returning as uh, the Cape Crusader. So that will, I imagine that will be the biggest area of speculation, certainly, until we get casting news on that, is who is going to and it's hard. take over. Will it be Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Will they try and continue that storyline and actually merge the two? I have no idea. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's hard to really talk about it, um, the casting, particularly with the Joseph Gordon-Levitt stuff, without... Mm without giving not a lot away but giving a little bit yeah. away about what happens in Dark Knight Rises yeah. isn't it because there's strands yes. that will sort of flow through to there are strands what I will say is I, I, I yeah and I kind of feel I feel teensy bit bad I already went down that route but that said I, I struggle to believe that there's anyone who listens to this <laughs> who who might choose at some point in their life to watch Dark Knight Rises that hasn't yet and if actually please actually let me know if there is someone like that, because I'd genuinely be interested to find out. Um, but yeah, that that was one big news. And then kind of in terms of the big rivalry now, kind of a bit like Blur and Oasis or Spandau Valley versus Duran Duran, if you're my <laughs> age, um, Marvel trying desperately not to be completely uh, topped by that. 
uh, announced a lot of information about the Phase 2 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So they showed some clips. James Gunn introduced some clips from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, I always Guardians get this wrong. Galaxy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've, I've not seen those clips yet, but apparently they are very odd, funny, and seem very much in tone with the man who made films like Super and Slither. So it sounds like a very, very interesting uh, take, which would be fantastic. There, Joss Whedon announced that the title of the Avengers sequel is going to be called something about Ultron. Ult- the Age of Ultron. A- Age of Ultron. Yeah. Okay, then. Owen, I've no idea who Ultron is. Who is Ultron? Big um, ro- <laughs> big okay, robot, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> a big robot, yeah. Basically, he's... Um, uh, a sort of intelligent robot who decides he's gonna wipe out humanity, Avengers, oh, and okay. something. Yeah, it's interesting though that the the part of the Age of Ultron story involves a character called Hank Pym, who you would probably you might not know if you don't read comics much anymore. That's a great comic book name. Hank as well, Pym. Isn't it? Yeah, he yeah. is um, Ant Man and Giant Man, both of them. Okay. But Ant Man, the film which is being directed by Edgar Wright, written with Joe yeah. Cornish, isn't out until Phase 3 of the Avengers. Yes. And mm. so it's interesting. I mean, I don't think Hank Pym, they've even said, is going to play a major part in Ant-Man. They're going to use um, different characters. So it's, it's strange. How they, it's almost like, I think, with the, the, the Age of Ultron announcement, they just had to throw something out there to try and wow mm. people as a, a sort of, well, the, the news is spreading around that there's going to be a Batman and Superman film. Yeah. We're going to have to try and top it. What can we do? Oh, we'll just get Joss Whedon to just announce down the microphone the name of the Avengers yeah. 2 film. Quite how it's yeah. going to work. I don't think they probably even know exactly yet. And <laughs> it's it's a bit difficult to speculate on it anyway. But I've got, yeah. you know, after after the Avengers Assemble film, which was brilliant, um, yeah. I, I am optimistic for it. I'm sure they'll I'd, do it. I trust, trust Whedon with anything i trust him with my life um <laughs> so so i know and 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 i am already starting to get quite excited about um phase three uh because that's going to be the earliest they've got time to do a, a new hulk film and i'm very excited to see what edgar wright does uh, with that kind yeah. of uh work as well so very excited about that then just one final thing there's a, a fantastic video which i'll i'll try and post alongside this podcast um when i post it up on the site but Marvel were there to show some footage. They showed some footage from the new Captain America film, The Winter Soldier. Which looks but, awesome, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that does. Because I, I wasn't a huge fan of the first film, but uh, it was quite good. But I, I, second one, yeah, very, very excited about that. And also some footage from the new Thor film. And the Thor, uh, the first Thor film was the big surprise of phase one for me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and to announce it, they had Tom Hiddleston come on stage as Loki <laughs> um, and basically grandstanded for eight minutes in character, uh, and including calling someone a mewling quim in the audience as well, which was just um, utterly fantastic. It, it's a, it just made me smile so much watching that video. So I'll post it up because at times you can see him struggling to keep a straight face and set, stay in character. But... Uh, it did remind me what a fantastic bad guy he is, <laughs> and yeah, I'm I'm actually genuinely really looking forward to uh, uh, the new Thor film uh, later on this year. I, I think it's I think it's in November, so we'll be doing a main review of that. So that's pretty much it from Comic Con uh, as far as the big movie news goes. 
Excellent. So that's it for the news then. Uh, we'll be back briefly with uh, what we've been watching this week. We're back with what we've been watching. And uh, James, won't you tell us what you have been watching? Okay, uh, this week I rewatched. Uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, uh, but we'll kind of come on to that later. And I haven't had time to watch another film apart from The World's End as well. So I just very, very quickly want to talk about a couple of pieces of television I watched. Uh, and I know we did the television special really recently. Last week, wasn't it, or something? No, no, week before. But um, firstly, uh, I rewatched Chris Morris's Brass Eye 2001 Peter Geddon special tonight, uh, which I thought was very topical uh, as yesterday... Uh, David Cameron announced loads of measures to try and uh, block and filter the internet and stop child abuse mess- uh, images being shared and stuff like that. And it was just incredible watching a 12-year-old um, satirical comedy program completely hit the nail on the head. It had MPs talking ridiculous, or as in the pro- nonsense, um, and it was just incredible that... 12 years ago, this was a man who got MPs and celebrities and serious journalists um, talking absolute nonsense. My my favourite one was always um, Dr. Fox, Dr. Neil Fox, the DJ, saying that... um, For those who don't know, not a a real doctor. doctor, Not a real... Don't get to treat you for any... No, definitely not. Um, Get the record music to you anyway. Well, no, I wouldn't trust him with anything. But, yeah, my favourite bit of that is he's there saying that, um, scientifically speaking, uh, crabs share more DNA with paedophiles than humans do. (laughs) Um, And then he goes on to say, there's no real evidence for this, but it's scientific fact. And it's just, it's an incredible um, exercise in showing how you can basically persuade celebrities and MPs to say anything if they think it will make people think they're worthy and like them. So, you know, if you get a chance, if you've never seen Brass Eye Watch, it's one of the most incredible pieces of television ever, but that particular special is what I watch. But I do very briefly want to talk about a Netflix original programme, uh, which I discovered last week. It's only just come onto Netflix. It's available on all regions, like all Netflix original programming. And uh, it's called Orange is the New Black, and I wasn't, I, I heard about it, I wasn't too sure. Basically, it's based on a true life story, uh, a book by a woman called Pippa Kerman, who got sent to prison 10 years after she'd kind of had a bit of a, a wild youth. She used to smuggle money across borders for her girlfriend, who was an international drug lord essentially and then 10 years later when she's got a nice happy life and she's about to get married to someone um, the law catches up with her and so she has to go to prison and it's about this very uh, middle class white woman ending up in a pretty horrible uh, US penitentiary it's 13 episodes long it's on Netflix so they've got no issues with language and things like that and at times it does feel very much like um like an HBO program, actually. It's not quite Oz, you know. Let's be. It's not as dark and as horrible as vi- and violent as Oz was. Um, but the great thing about it, actually, is it's a really, really strong female cast. It definitely passes the Bechdel test, which is the idea that two women in a film or TV program should talk to each other and not about men. And if if a film or TV program can do that, it's 
not being sexist, essentially. It stars Taylor Schilling as Piper Chapman, uh, the main character. And it also is part of... Uh, it's got Jason Biggs in it. I wondered what happened to Jason Biggs. He plays her fiancé, who's kind of left on the outside. He's a writer. It it starts off slowly as a programme. Um, but by about the third or fourth episode, I was, I was genuinely quite hooked. It's not patronising. It actually does deal with issues of power and authority and the abuse of that power and authority as well. Uh, it deals with issues of criminality. And the great thing about it is you get a kind of flashbacks to the backstories of a lot of the people who are in prison here. And it's not saying that they're all angels who've ended up in prison, but it's saying that a lot of these people are... People who've made wrong choices, they're not essentially, they're not all bad people, but they're people who've made mistakes, made wrong choices, some of them dealing with it better than others. Uh, it's, it's funny, uh, and it's created by the woman who created Weeds, which I've never seen, but uh, I know a lot of people quite enjoyed that. Uh, it, like I say, 13 episodes available on Netflix uh, at the moment, and definitely well worth your time. Um, and yeah, it, it deals with some stereotypes about women in prison, and that's as much as I'll say there. Uh, it's not afraid to show flesh and things like that, but it's but it's not sensationalised either. Uh, it's got and it's got a lot of heart to it as well. So I, I would definitely recommend it. And I think Netflix are coming up with some very impressive original programming. Just this year, I've seen House of Cards, um, Arrested Development season four, and this, and I've been very impressed by all of them. I've still not bought myself to watch the Eli Roth um, Twin Peaks rip-off, though. Okay. Uh, Owen, what have you watched this week? Um, I watched a film from 1973, basically on Twitter last week. I think it was actually on Tuesday last week before we recorded the podcast. I asked some people if they could just recommend me a creature feature to watch. I was just in the mood for something that's just, like, you know, just a typical man versus nature film. I ended up watching Rogue, but Matt Lamborn, who has written for the website and is at Matt underscore Lamborn on Twitter, if you want to follow him, um, he recommended... A He's our biggest fan, <laughs> isn't he? We love that. He downloads it every week and comments and stuff. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, but he recommended me a film called... Uh, I'm going to pronounce it, and this is literally how it's spelled. It's, it's called... Which is um, spelt with seven S's. That's that's what it's called. I think the alternative title, which makes more sense, is Snake. Um, right. But it's yeah, down as online. So that's what it's called, which is kind of embarrassing to say. Uh, <laughs> basically, it's a kind of educational creature feature. If I can sort of like that. You know, when you were at school and like primary school, did you ever have like people who came round and they just brought animals with them? Um, like you had an assembly once a once a year or something, and they just put like snakes and rabbits and stuff like that. I grew up in Devon. My school was a farm essentially. <laughs> Fair so. enough. Okay, <laughs> we used to have a guy who came came round. Um, like during, I think it was like the end of year kind of thing. Um, that kind of guy who comes round with all the animals, he's basically mm-hmm. the mad scientist character in this film. He just has loads of snakes, and he's obsessed by snakes, but he's quite a friendly old man, basically. Okay. Not a goth, then. Not a I goth, no. goths with lots of snakes. He's just, but... <laughs> yeah, he's just this old bloke, this old scientist, who, you know, he's a nice guy. He's just stealing students and injecting them with serums to turn them into snakes. Nothing wrong okay. with that. 
I mean, yeah. you know, that's fine. He can do that if he's um, if that's what makes him it makes him happy. Um, yeah. <laughs> basically, he he hires a lab assistant who goes missing, and he takes on another lab assistant called uh, David, who starts to have a romantic relationship with the this scientist's daughter. Um. Yeah, but the whole film, it's its essentially just a man with lots of different snakes telling you about snakes and how these snakes should be cared for and why a king cobra is better than other snakes and why a black mamba is the most poisonous snake. And occasionally there's a bit of uh, fighting. Occasionally there's a bit of a snake that bites somebody. Mostly, though, it is just an educational, weird <laughs> kind of... <laughs> half horror film half like study basically it's interesting <laughs> it's is it like David David Attenborough on mescaline <laughs> it's not even that good it's oh, literally no. <laughs> just a man from the zoo the local zoo who turned up with some snakes um, they make a point that's quite nice actually at the start of the film they say that all the snakes they use are real and they thank the people who've loaned them all the snakes and they make a point of saying that you know we appreciate that all the actors in the film had to, you know, work with real animals and they had to be really patient and stuff. So it's quite interesting that they do that. But there are quite clearly... That's quite sweet. But yeah, but there are quite clearly moments in the film where it's just a big rubber snake. They make this bold claim about using real snakes, but then you've got him, like, throwing snakes out of a window. They're not real snakes. <laughs> They're just big rubber snakes. So, um, yeah. I mean, it was an interesting recommendation. I'll say that. So, to give Matt his dues, it was something a bit different. And I kind of did like it. It was a bit cheesy and it was a bit silly, but it, it was quite good fun, I guess. It was directed by a guy called Bernard Kowalski, or Kowalski, I suppose. Um, who, it's basically his only proper feature film, I think. He did a lot of other... He had films. one shot and he made an <laughs> educational snake film. <laughs> He, he blew it. But I had a look at his filmography that's on Wikipedia. He's got some brilliant names of some films that were... I don't know how completed they were or how successfully received they were, but stuff like Attack of the Giant Leeches. How good does that sound? Yeah, uh, that does sound... Unless it is another education. <laughs> about the man bringing in leeches talking about. Yeah. Oh. But um, he got nominated for two primetime Emmys. Wow. What? I don't know. Okay. All right. uh-huh. You know, he did episodes, I think, of like uh, Columbo and Airwolf and Knight Rider. So maybe he got nominations for that. But yeah, Snake. Um, it's a short film. Oh, that's positive. Not 90 minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I say, interesting recommendation. It was. It was. That's nice. It's nice getting re- uh, listeners' recommendations. Um, we'll, we'll we'll always take them. And I know. I know Steve's been desperately trying to get people to recommend stuff for him on Twitter. And they have, but... And they have. I can't oh. watch it yet. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, if you, actually, yeah, from now on, if you've got anything you want any of us to watch, if it's all four of us, or if it is uh, a film you want a specific critic to watch, let us know on Twitter at FailCritics, because that, that could be quite fun. It could indeed. Uh, <laughs> it, could, it, could, it could just completely fall on its ass, but you know, no one would know. Okay, and this week I have watched the um, Oscar nominated, Oscar winning. Oscar nominated, well, it did win Oscars, but only in technical Nom- categories. Yeah, nominated for nine Academy Awards, winning mm. Best Film Editing and Best Sound. 
Um, not awards that I pay any credence to. <laughs> <laughs> God. But anyway, it is Apollo 13, directed by Ron Howard and starring Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton and Ed Harris. Um, um, Kevin Bacon in those stupid EE adverts, is that, that's one of his characters, isn't it? Yes. Apollo 13 astronaut, <laughs> yeah. Hate those really, I, I, I quite I, like Kevin I, Bacon, so I'm quite forgiving. I that. quite like Kevin Bacon, but is, is do you know what? Normal people go to the cinema what once or twice a month at the yeah. most, and when you're going as often as we're going, I'm sick of them. I, do you know what I don't like more than that? Is they've changed it now to like kind of computer ones, but them them Wonga old people dummies. Oh, if I some, hate them. If something yeah, about I, yeah, I just I find uneasy. Because I always arrive at the cinema, I time it, so I arrive at the cinema after the adverts, but just as the trailers are starting. And I'm like, and then an EE advert comes on, it feels like it's breaking into my personal space. <laughs> I specifically time my journeys to avoid actual adverts. EE e- e- just racking up the, the things. And EE e- then just hit me with it. Else, so. Another broadband supplier, so... Uh, yeah. Anyway, Apollo 13, anyway. My, uh, as, as we try to reduce the amount of tangents we go off on, yeah, <laughs> never gonna work. Uh, Apollo thirteen, uh, my it's it's okay, it's it's enjoyable, but I don't get why it's rated so highly. It's basically uh, they should put that on the poster. That's, that's brilliant, <laughs> yeah. brilliant little tagline. We have two awards. Steve pays no yeah. no credence to. <laughs> on, on yeah, on Ross and Tomatoes, it's got an approval rating of ninety seven percent. Really? Is what? it really that? Yeah, that's what it says on the Wikipedia page. That, that's the problem. The problem. I like Rotten Tomatoes, but the problem you've got is that means 97% of people thought it was worth 60% or more. Uh, so it's not that it's 90%. No, no, it means it's inoffensive. A weighted average score of 8 out of 10. Yeah, so yeah, it's not a 97% film. Yeah. Uh, okay. so it's that a, makes it a yeah. metacritic. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an 80% film. But yeah, when you see the Rotten Tomatoes things, all that means is that percentage of people thought it was worth 6 out of 10 or more. Metacritic that. have it as 77 out of 100. Mm. And IMDb's got it about 7.8, 7.9, hasn't it? Yeah, and is it really that good? Is it really an 8 out of 10 film? I mean... I'd say it's an 8 it, out of 10 it's, film. It's a similar kind of film to something like Deep Impact or Armageddon. It's set in space, things go wrong, it's a bit America, fuck yeah. Um, I'm not saying Armageddon and Deep Impact, that should be more highly thought of. They're summer blockbusters, they're good ones, they're entertaining, and they're about the level of what people should think of them, generally. If you took a you know a straw yeah. poll of general public, what they think of those films, that you'd probably get about right. Apollo 13, no, I don't think... You know, obviously it's a true story and it's a dramatic true story and it's an interesting true story and space is cool and it always will be but I don't think anyone in this film puts in a good a great performance they're all okay they're all good it's watchable no, I don't think any of the main characters you know Tom Hanks Ed Harris are, are big you know well respected actors and so I suppose to some extent Kevin Bacon is as well no one's really on top form in this, and it's neither directed, you know, on, by Ron Howard at his best either. And I just don't understand why it's so highly thought of, but it's still worth watching. I just don't get the kind of, you know. That's fair enough, I think. There's a I lot of films like... that end up like that, you know. They get a lot of, I mean, I've famously, quotation marks around famously, 
yeah moaned about Crash before, you know. I don't understand yeah. why that is so. Although I think Crash is horrifically bad. But it is. I'm with you. Yeah. But it's it's one of those where you watch it and you think, well, what have the Academy seen in it, you know? Mm. And it's. Although we had this conversation off air. Um, it, it it was nominated for Best Picture, but when you look at some of the other films it was nominated up against, and you've literally got um, Braveheart, which I think is a worse film than Apollo 13 for a lot of reasons. Um, Scotland fuck yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, there's um, not many films of that kind of... No, no, that's right. Il Postino, The Postman, which I've not seen. Sense and Sensibility, which is a decent enough film, but it's just it's essentially just uh, a period drama you know there's nothing uh original or unique or anything about that it's just a nicely made period drama and babe uh, the the film about the the sheep herding pig those were the five films that were nominated for best film that that year must have been a a different film called babe that i'd not heard of (laughs) because i thought there's no way that a children's film about a talking pig could yeah, it's a great children's film about a talking pig. To be fair, oh, yeah, and good. when you look at those five, actually, yeah, it, it certainly doesn't not belong in those films. I just think it was a terrible film, terrible year for film. Was it ninety six? I think it was. Yeah, uh, been any other kids films? Ninety five. Ninety five. Released ninety five. So, oh, so it'll be the ninety six Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's been any other kids films since Babe that have been nominated for an Oscar. Can't be many. I think one of the Pixar ones. Um, one of the Pixar ones has possibly two for best picture for best film. Picture. Yeah, um, Beauty and the Beast was the first ever yeah. Disney film nominated for best picture. Um, but I think one of the Pixar ones is. Do you know what? Um, we'll, we'll try and come back yeah, to that with you by the end of the podcast. We'll let you. We'll let you know. Independence Day was nineteen ninety six. Yeah, that's never going to be Oscar. That's the thing. Apollo 13 is very much Oscar-based. 96 looked like a good year for uh, blockbuster action because the top four grossing films that year, Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible and The Rock. Yeah, none of those are going to trouble the Academy. (laughs) And The Rock is a great film. Rock is a great film. Um, Twister is not. I heard a good <laughs> fact theory about The Rock the other day that Sean Connery's character in it is actually James Bond. Uh, but don't you have the theory that James Bond isn't one person, is a lot of different No, that's people. not my idea. That's something else okay. that I've just read and, okay, and, that's fine. and found interesting yet flawed. Okay, that's good. I, I'd need to rewatch The Rock again and see if there's any connection he's there, like or if you're British, just saying because it's he's a it's an old Sean Connery. <laughs> no, he, pl- he plays a British kind of ex-secret service he's, agent. Yeah, that's it, true. So. Okay, yeah. that's just you know. Anyway, <laughs> just throw it out there, aren't you? Yeah. Just just making giving chew on that, giving people thinking gum to chew on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think that's all for what we've been watching. So, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the review of The World's End next. So, the main review this week was the final part of the Cornetto trilogy by uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, and they've all featured Nick Frost as well. Uh, has he had any writing credits for this, or is he just you know, acting in it? I didn't see. I, I didn't see him down as a, a writer on this. No, no, I don't. I, I imagine he's had some a little bit of input anyway. But uh, anyway, 
Uh, yes, the final part of the Cornetto trilogy, written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Paddy Constantine, Martin Freeman, uh, Eddie Mars and, and others. And yes, it is the world's end. Here's a clip. Drink up. Let's boo boo. Boo boo. What is that? You remember Let's Boo Boo? You know, from Mr. Shepherd's classroom, it said on the wall, "Exit pursued by a bear." You know, from that Shakespeare play. A Winter's Tale. Yeah. What was it called? A Winter's Tale. That's it. And if we needed to make a quick getaway, we'd say, exit pursued by a bear. And then it was, exit pursued by Yogi Bear. And then it was just, let's Yogi and Boo Boo. And then, let's Boo Boo. So you're saying we should go? Yeah, it's shit here, isn't it? And so, yeah, that was uh, Simon Pegg uh, and Nick Frost uh, and the other lads in a pub chatting bants. Yes, and two things before we really get into the discussion on the film and the other works of this trio um first thing this brings to a conclusion my summer preview of films i went comedy heavy i went the world's end i went this is the end i went 21 and over and two two hits and one neither hit nor miss i think i've done quite well there oh well yeah oh well let's see what we've got to say before we give this one the uh the hit seal of approval and, uh, <laughs> i think me and owen want to talk about the guy who completed twitter this week <laughs> yeah no james already completed twitter ages ago though didn't he because of uh old yeah. action jackson himself sending james oh a... well, yeah I, I am good twitter buddies uh with my man carl weathers uh tells me to be peace talks about stews once in my life and i i saved the email notification i got and forwarded it to owen the other day <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm quite sad but no there was there was genuinely someone yes. who um yeah awesome his, his name jealous. is oscar tolast and he's at oscar tolast on twitter he think he's a media student at bournemouth university uh, and he tweeted the world's end movie in simon Pegg, saying simon Pegg executes a perfect rock bottom in a fight scene in the world's end uh, and then he gets a reply from Simon Pegg saying, actually, it's a people's elbow. Uh, Simon Pegg, confusing, actually, what happened in his own film. But uh, saying, yeah. uh, Doesn't Nick Frost do a, a no, rock Nick, bottom? No, Nick Frost does a people's elbow. Simon okay. Pegg does a rock bottom. So, okay, all oh, right, yeah. Through yeah. a urinal, I think. Oh, That's yeah, it, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, Simon it. Pegg tweets him back and says it's the most electrifying move in sports entertainment. You think, That's pretty good. You've got. Yeah. He's replied to your tweet. You've seen his film, you've loved it. And then Dwayne The Rock Johnson gets involved, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. So he, yeah, it's then followed up by the famous Peg's Flying Lip Lock. <laughs> uh, and they spoke about it in a in an interview I saw with with Virgin Movies or something that um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were both saying how big a WWE fans they were and um, how big a The Rock fans they are. And, and apparently The Rock is a lovely man according to them, who've met him. So. That, that seems very believable, yeah. actually. He does seem like a genuinely so, lovely so guy. So anyway, Oscar Tolast, you've completed Twitter. Well done. <laughs> yes. So the film. Yes, the film. <laughs> uh, yes, Gary King, played by Simon Pegg, wants to get back all his mates from his youth to recreate the Golden Mile 12 pub, pub crawl through the hometown of Newton Haven. But it all goes a little bit wrong. Yeah, 
the uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, the other thing is as well. It is the apparently the concluding part of the the Blood and Ice Cream, the Cornetto trilogy. And until today, I didn't realise that it was they actually had Cornettos for each film. Yeah. It was Strawberry mm. Cornetto for the first one, uh, and then the Blue Cornetto for Hot Fuzz, and this was the Green, the Mint Chocolate Chip. My favourite uh, Cornetto. Cornetto. Yeah, if Cornetto are listening and want to send me any. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, classily done there, yeah. Steve. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's the final one in in a, a loose, let's be honest, a loosely based trilogy. Um, I, I'm going to start off by saying that at, if you're expecting a Shaun of the Dead or a Hot Fuzz, um, laugh every minute genre pick, you, you you won't necessarily be disappointed, but you won't be getting what you expected. Mm, that's fair enough. I think it's um I suppose partly because Shaun of the Shaun of the Dead was a re- I mean if you look at it either as a, a comedy or as a zombie mm. film it is good as either of them you could recommend it to yes. people who are interested in watching one or the other but um, you can say yeah. the same as Hot Fuzz as a kind of buddy cop film and Hot, yeah they're, exactly yeah they're very good at parody parodying and playing homage to a genre mm. at the same time. Yeah, but not just that. I think and, it's and hot... playing it's quite yeah, straight. Yeah, they play they play it out. Hot Fuzz is a. It's not taking the piss out of buddy cop films uh, in the same way that like Hot Shots took the piss out of Top Gun. Um, it genuinely is a uh, a buddy cop film. Shaun of the Dead genuinely is a zombie film. Um, and I... whereas I think for me, The World's End is actually a film about friendship, it's about nostalgia, it's about male bonding with an alien replacement storyline story tacked into it. That that was how it felt to me. I, it didn't feel like a genre pick it, to me, in the same way that, say, Attack the Block might do. No, it's kind of... In a way, it's the, the actual storyline of the film, the actual plot of it, it's more... It's got more to do with Stand By Me than it has with Invasion of the mm. Body Snatchers. That's a, that's nice. Just then, it made it up. <laughs> <laughs> think about that in advance. Yeah, I, I, I still think it had quite a decent story. If you look at old. Oh, no, I, I, I like the story. I'm not. But, uh, yeah, I didn't. By saying tacked on, that makes it sound like it was an afterthought. It, it wasn't was at all. part of but the I, actual development of the characters yes. was to have this. You know, invasion of the body snatchers esque motive to the whole mm. thing. But I felt that I felt that the the alien plot was act was far. It was it was a bit more um, metaphorical. Uh, it was I'm looking for my big long words that I used to use <laughs> at university and stuff like that. But basically, it, yeah, it was it was an analogy for things, and it, I, I felt that in the previous films they were quite straight up. This is a body cop film. Um, Shaun of the Dead was about friendship, um, but not to the extent that this film was. Uh, and I do think that, for me, the bits I enjoyed most about the film, apart from the incredible fight scenes, um, were uh, the, the bits I got from the film were actually around four, uh, five men who have kind of had such a strong bond at one point in their lives and have grown the, apart. In, in this uh, film, the characters are the best written they've ever been in anything that these these guys have done before, especially film-wise. Um, yeah. The, the characters are the best written. They've got the most depth. Especially, There's a couple that haven't really yeah. got... Martin Freeman's character hasn't got much depth to him. 
Um, but the other mm. four main characters have got quite a bit, and you end up, you know, they're, they're relatable as well. You can probably mm. pick, you know, you could probably look at any of the main four characters from the film and think, when I was 18, I had a mate like him, and if you didn't, you're probably mm. that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, no, definitely. And the thing is, I was watching this thinking, I I know or knew a Gary King. Yeah. yeah it really, re- down to even the clothes <laughs> he was wearing, the things he would say, the inappropriate sexual double entendres and stuff. It was it was actually quite scary. But, but, um, so you, how, and I grew up in Devon as well. So it was, you know, a lot of this film actually felt like, you know, the, the small town that you grew up in. And then you leave, you know, I'm in the big big lights of Leicester now uh so yeah it's about you know you go away from your roots and then but you know someone's back there who could pull you back into that but part of me also thought wouldn't that just be brilliant because we've all had um incredible nights that are like highlights of our lives that as the years go by become dim and distant memories but in our heads we have kind of polished them we told them up to be pinnacles of our youth and wouldn't it be great to go back and try and relive that? And I, so part of me, and I think this for me is one of the reasons I enjoyed the film so much is that half of me had absolute pity for Simon Pegg as Gary King, and half of me had real empathy and thinking, actually, yeah, I see what you're trying to do here, and that that. But there's also be a reveal about Simon Pegg's character that we can't really say too much about, but it kind of justifies why he. Because he's an anti-hero in this, in 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 Hot Fuzz and yeah, in a hot in yeah. Hot Fuzz and Shaun the Dead, he's you know, at least at the end he's kind of likable, um, you know, and yeah. he's, he's the hero of the film. In this, right yeah. to the end, he's a bit of a knob, but yeah. it ends up being, yeah. but, but it ends up being justified. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the key, isn't it? That in the end, it's, well, that's just the kind of person he is and you've got to just accept that's his personality and not just him being a, and I, a knob. <laughs> I know, some of the negative reviews of this film, they haven't been, it's not been overly negatively. I think it's still overall been positively reviewed. Um, but one of the things that has been a sticking point for some people has been that they haven't been able to get on with his character. And I, th- and I had this problem earlier on the year, in this year with Flight, with Denzel Washington. And sometimes if you think a character is so much of a dick within the first half hour of a film that you hate him, no matter what happens in the rest of the film, it can't get you back. And I can see how some people may have yeah. struggled. Uh, with Simon Pegg in this film because he's, he's not like no, he's, he's very. I mean, if you think of like Shaun of the Dead again, just going back to another Edgar Wright film. Yeah. You know, in that film, um, you know, Nick Frost is. Nick Frost he's played kind that of character, kind of but he wasn't. Did, yeah. With a heart, with a heart yeah. yeah. And I think the problem with Shaun in that film that was that he was exactly like Nick Frost. He just didn't want to admit it to himself that he was a loser. In yeah. Hot Fuzz, they go completely opposite with you know to. the top end of yeah. the spectrum of the kind of characters they think they are, with Simon Pegg acting yeah. as the cool cop and quite frankly he is in Hot Fuzz with Nick Frost as the sort of yeah. psychic. In this, they've, they've switched the roles around completely mm. again, so Nick Frost is now playing yeah. the straight character and Simon Pegg mm. is the completely loserish never Nick, really Nick, grew up kind of character. Nick Frost is essentially playing what the lead would have been in the other two films that's right yeah and it's interesting yeah. they've they've 
they've sort of turned the dynamic around and had it that way for this film. I don't know whether that was just maybe Nick Frost got a bit sick of being stereotyped as the lazy slob character or whether Peg or, was just... Or possibly. It's just the fact that they've grown... Maybe they've grown up a little bit and maybe it kind of shows an element of how they've well, developed in their own life. Maybe they've bought I some could, of their own I life I couldn't into see this. Nick Frost playing a Gary, Gary King. Is no, it, is, is, uh, no, not a Gary kind King. kind of useless oath to what um, Ed is and to what um, Danny is in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, but maybe he could. Maybe go. Yeah, I, I, it would. I, I was impressed with. I, I'll be honest. I was impressed with his range in this. I think, um, especially in some of the earlier scenes, he he puts in a really genuinely quite naturalistic performance mm. as well. Um, one bit that really stuck with me was his. Uh, quote near the beginning of the pub crawl where he's explaining why he drinks water and actually why that makes him you know actually pretty hard uh, and, uh, and that was just a really nice little speech from someone about what it's like about masculinity what it's like to be a man and peer pressure and stuff like and it was a great little speech and it was there was no joke in there it was just a there really was, nice was, bit of characterization like with eddie mars and his character was talking mm. about, you know, the bully at school who come and took a chair from their table. Mm. He's like, he didn't even recognise me. He made my life hell mm. for while we were at mm. school. And he, just, it, yeah. he didn't recognise me it, at all just now. Yeah, and wasn't it great to see Eddie Marsden in a role where you don't actually hate him? <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite... And he did he it really brilliant. well, actually. Um, and and Paddy Considine as well. It, I think part of the key to this film for me... Was that you had some, you had some genuinely good actors in there as well, uh, and I think Eddie Marsden and Pally Constantine really kind of bulked up the the thespianism going on there, uh, and, and that really really helped. I I feel a little bit sorry for Martin Freeman because he's his, a great his actor. His character actually. was I, the out of the ones on the pub crawl. His character in this was the the worst. Yeah. I, the, the, the thinnest, thinnest yeah. yeah. It was the maybe, thinnest. Maybe yeah, that was, was thinnest we can't really book. discuss why. Maybe that was a symptom of, of what happened to his character. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, all I would say is it's you, it's going to be really difficult to get um, five really hugely well-rounded characters with a load of interaction along with a body snatchers type plot mm-hmm. as well. You know, I think in the end, possibly something had to go there. And, and I, I just want to say, I don't think it's Martin Freeman's fault. Cause I've heard some people go, Oh look, it's Martin Freeman playing Martin Freeman again. And I, it's the one thing that I've seen him in, um, it, like as a major part, that no point have I thought as Tim from the office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know you've had that issue even in, even the, in Hobbit. the Hobbit and stuff like that. And I still even think in the Hobbit, harsh. he'd make the same but... face like Tim would make when he was fed up. Like... <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't do it in this film. In in the World's End, he never made that kind of Tim from the Office face. No, he he was a more uptight yeah. character. He's a more uptight yuppie style character. And, uh, yeah, you know, man, he was well, yeah, an estate agent. Yeah, you know, so um, so yeah, no, I I just I just don't think his character was completely fully fleshed out. But you know. I think I'm I'm starting to pick a few mm. holes in it, and there were some flaws. And I do think some of the early dialogue actually between the characters just felt like it was made up. They filmed it and moved on, and there was a little bit of clunky dialogue yeah, I, that just didn't I, I think sit right for it me. It didn't really get properly going. I mean, we had 
you had the opening bit where they were all young, being narrated by by Gary King, and then you had yeah the the bit in the car where they got to the train station and they all got in the car. But the bit, the that, yeah that was a the great bit, bit. The bits in between oh, okay. that, and then the bit when they got to Newton Haven until about the third or fourth pub. I thought it was a bit. It, it wasn't that good, but as soon as they hit kind of the third or fourth pub, as soon as they hit their stride on the pub, like a night out, Steve. It, as soon as they hit the third exactly. or fourth pint, it boom. was it was well on its way, and it was it ended up being <laughs> you know a, a, a worthy part of the Cornetto trilogy. Two things we've not really spoke about, but we should, um, because we it's a comedy first and foremost, mm-hmm. and we've not really spoke about how funny it is. So probably probably good. Um, I, do you know what? Because we, I've kind of slightly ignored um, Jerry because Jerry has emailed his thoughts in here. In, interestingly, and I'm going to start off with Jerry's thoughts with this because this surprised me. Jerry thought it was slightly better than the previous two films in terms of laughs, um, but he thought in terms of story it got quite poor as it went on. Personally, I thought this was the least funny yeah. of the three, but but I got I got. It, once I'd adjusted what type of film I was going to be watching, um, it mattered less to me. Um, I don't know what you guys. It thought. wasn't. It wasn't as funny as the other two. I don't think, but it was still very funny. And I, I would have been, I wouldn't have cared how good the story was and how good the characters were written if it wasn't funny, because I want. Well, no, true. Like, true. I don't know. It, I kind of think it still needed that. When it was funny, which you know, it wasn't as. Often as something like Hot Fuzz, which is just a, a laugh every two minutes. But when this was yeah. funny, it was very funny, I think. Some of the, the visual gags in it in particular worked just yeah. better I, I, than any of the others. I think the fight scene where, where Gary King's just trying to drink a pint throughout the whole fight. Brilliant choreography, isn't that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and actually that's something else um, Jerry said. And something I completely agree with. Um, the fight scenes were absolutely fantastic. Uh, Jerry said he thought that it benefited greatly from Wright having done Scott Pilgrim. And I do think the fight sequences in Scott Pilgrim, you could definitely see it was the did, same did guy you, doing these you, fight um, sequences. I've just read that uh, the stunts were coordinated by Brad Allen, who's part of Jackie Chan's uh, <laughs> team. Uh, wow. That would explain it. Yeah. Okay. That would explain a lot of the kind of the close yeah. combat ones, the, yeah. the first fight that kicks off inside yeah. a gent's toilet. You know, really, really close. And in fact, it, that reminded me a little bit I of like, the raid I as like well. This um, from Edgar Wright, he said, in a, a Jackie Chan film called Drunken Master, Jackie Chan has to get drunk to fight. But this, uh, this is more the idea of Dutch courage. You know, when you're kind of drunk and you think I can climb up that scaffolding, or just impervious to pain. <laughs> uh, these, this is yes. one of the things we talked yeah. about. The idea that you become better fighters the more oiled you get. <laughs> drunken boxing, yeah. Is yeah. I've got Drunken Master. I've still not. I've got Jackie Chan's Drunken Master. It was one of my favourite films of 1978, I think, when we did our 70s podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's what I picked it up at a car boot sale after you'd mentioned it. So, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I, I think we do need to talk about the fight sequences because they're really well done. And do you know what? They were really inventive as well. Um, and, and there was there was a there was a scene in a beer garden mm. with um, some twins, um, and all of a sudden, like something happened in the fight. You go, oh my god, that's just <laughs> mental. Uh, and but it works. And do you know what? It looked good. It didn't look cheap at any point. 
Um, they've clearly got a bit of budget to do some stuff with, but Edgar Wright has become really quite adept at filming these fight sequences. And they were really enjoyable fight sequences, and I didn't mind them going on for a little bit. And yeah, they're, they're great. I've never seen bar stools <laughs> used so brilliantly in a, in a fight sequence as well. And there was there was a kind of element of Nick Frost doing Hulk smash there, which was just fantastic. And, it was, um, and yeah, and mixing in the wrestling moves as well. And the, as Jerry said, the big daddy kind of drop on uh, that Nick Frost does on someone as well, breaking their back. Really, really enjoyed the fight sequences. I, I think they were great. But going back to the humour, Owen's right. It, yeah, it it still needed to be funny and when it was funny it was brilliant a few things did fall a little bit flat at times um but i get the impression actually that this is a film which will improve on I mean, repeat I, viewings i like the it wasn't I, obviously the end scene but where they actually confront the network i think that's really funny yes, and it's not often yeah. in a kind of alien invasion film you, even yeah even a serious one where you get them actually confronting them you get you know all out war or a fight you don't really get them kind of yeah. saying why do you really want to come here and take us over in the first place yeah 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 no no and there was yeah i think it, it do you know what towards the end it reminded me a little bit of cabin in the woods where it kind of just mm. went batshit mental for just for the sheer hell of it and but and i think if you go along with it brilliant uh some people might go oh what really but i i i really enjoyed it but again going back to um the idea that it for me still it wasn't necessarily about the alien invasion that for me it was about five men who have grown apart and dealing with their inadequacies and things while an alien invasion is happening um and that was i think that was why it was for me, it's their most ambitious film to date, and it has some flaws, but I think it might end up being my favourite film of the three. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I think it was a very good film, but as far as the story goes, yeah, it's, it's a great story. I appreciate it probably will improve even more on a repeat, repeat viewing. I still think Shaun of the Dead probably just gets the blend of comedy and story right, and if I wanted to just watch one that was funny... Just because I was, you know, I don't mm. know, just in the mood for a comedy, Hot Fuzz would still probably go on ahead of it. So I'm not sure quite what, what kind of category I'd rank it better than the other two in. You know, I, I, I see that. I think Shaun of the Dead is actually a pretty much perfect film. I, I genuinely believe Shaun of the Dead's a five star film for me every day of the week. Uh, and you're right, it's got the exact right blend of um, zombie film comedy. Um, actual good believable mm. romance as well um yeah that this uh, it could be like this i think might be my favorite in terms of because of my personal connection with it I, it just it made a personal connection part of that as well is down to the soundtrack which just really so, kind of took me back there was some, everything they do is great but this yeah. one was this one just just this smacked me in the face with my youth. It really did. Just just track after track. The bit where they walk into um, uh, Newton Haven to Swade's so young it was just that. I, I just, it transported me um, I, back I, to my own youth, and it was such. It was so powerful. I like them bookending um, the film really with uh, Loaded by Prime. Yeah, great. Yeah, that was nice as well. And, you know, so many of the tracks, actually, are really cliché tracks from that area. Loaded's yeah. one of those cliché tracks. Fool's Gold, 
Um, the uh, mm. Step On by Happy Mondays. All really cliche. But do you know what? It, just it reminded me here. like of a Danny Boyle um, film. You know, like with um, 127 mm. Hours or something, which is just full of like Britpop. Yeah. <laughs> just it, you'd think that can't yeah. really work because yeah, exactly. that is just you know a bit yeah. unsubtle. But it and does. It's just. It does, and there's the moment when they're in the car, and this is the moment when I, when I saw my bit of Gary King was when they're like, oh, I'll put this on tape for you, and you realise he's been listening to the same yeah. music for the last twenty years, and you know I came out of the cinema and I went onto my phone and yep, there's my Britpop <laughs> playlist for whenever I just want to listen to my pulp, and you know it had um, pulp, it had Jay. the soundtrack made that connection, and that's why I think I don't think this is a better film than Shaun of the Dead, but. As things stand, tomorrow I'd watch this over Hot Fuzz. And it may be because I've seen Hot Fuzz a lot, but I'm, des- put it this way, I'm desperate to watch this again. And uh, Les Mis is the only film I've seen twice in the cinema this year. And every other film I've... You know, even the films I've really enjoyed, I've not wanted to go back and watch it the same week. But this I actually want to go and watch again. And part of that is because I want to go and pick up on... A, clearly there's going to be loads of stuff I've missed. Uh, it's going to be loads of stuff that uh, you miss the first time around, like with loads of their work, really deeply textured stuff, little in-jokes you don't notice the first time. It's not their work, um, isn't and, it? But it's not yes, like yeah. heavy-handed be, meta as community. Right? Like your no, no, there's really, really light touches. And there's the famous one in Shaun of the Dead where right at the beginning, um, when they talk about going to the pubs and the drinks they're going to have, they're essentially telling you the story of yeah. what's going to happen in the film, where they talk about having Bloody Marys and shots at the Winchesters. You know, and, that, and you wouldn't notice that until you went back and watched it a second time and go, ah, or maybe even a third or fourth time, you finally pick up on that little bit. And I am certain there are, far, there are loads of um, parallels between their original pub crawl and the pub crawl that takes place that I just wasn't able to spot the first time. Yeah, you, and I want to go back and watch it. Do you think there'd be connections between the names of the pub and what happened in some of in those pubs? Yeah, exactly. So I think that I think it's going to be rewarding um, like that. And the other thing is, I want to go into it with my expectations of I'm not going to watch the sequel to Hot Fuzz as well because I want to see if that. Because I'll be honest, I first watching first thing as soon as the credits rolled, I was like. I quite enjoyed that. It wasn't as funny. It wasn't quite as funny as I was expecting, though. And bits of it have permeated over the last 24 hours in my mind. And and I've changed my mind without actually seeing it again. I need to go in and think, right, I'm going in to watch this, you know, coming of age stroke, looking back over your lifestyle story. Uh, and I want to see that again. So I'd, the fact that I really want to see it again the same week I've seen it once already, to me says that this could end up being um, my favourite A couple film. of things, really, before we finish talking about this film now. Um, what do we make of the epilogue? Well, obviously, we can't go into it too much because we'll end up spoiling it for people. But there was an epilogue. Um, what do we make yeah. of it? I, I can't quite get my head around it at the moment. I, can't work, I don't think it works for me, personally. I liked it, but I like things being quite... Tied up I, and I would have tied it up and explained so. it differently, I think, but I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> well, I know we know you're on your way out to Hollywood soon already. Um, no, I, I liked it and it had some nice imagery, mm. um, and it, and in a way it tied in a little bit with the one of you know a couple of the themes that have been running through the whole uh, story. So no, I, I'm, some people won't like the epilogue at all, but I, 
Yeah, it still concluded, concluded everything, didn't it? It was, it was very different. It was very, very different in tone, pretty much to anything they've ever done. Yeah. But I, I was happy with that. Um, the other thing as well, really good cameos in there as well. Uh, and Jerry mentioned this. He really liked seeing a lot of the cameos. You had um, Alice Lowe and Steve Oram from Sightseers yeah. in yeah. a couple of di- it, some roles, um, which was great. Uh, yeah. Reese Shearsmith was in it. Uh, Michael Smiley was in it. Yeah, so it's... Um, that yeah, there, in fact, there was a load of Ben Wheatley people essentially, <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't there, uh, which was great. Um, there's one or two kind of bigger name ones that I don't, it won't go into, but when you see them, you go, oh yeah, that's great fun. And also, right at the beginning, when did you notice? Right at the beginning, when uh, Gary is in an AA meeting talking about the greatest night of his life, kind of thing. Um, sat next to him is Mary from Shaun of the Dead. Oh, I didn't notice that. No. Yeah, sat right next to him is um, yeah, Bloody Mary. He turns up in the garden on the, in on the morning of Shaun of the Dead, and I thought that was, and again, that was a really nice touch. I'm waiting and for I them to like reveal the now that there has been some underlying thread or common thing or character somehow, some link between because none of the films are linked. But I'm waiting for them to blow our no. minds and say actually they are. Look, this is what's happened. Yes, yeah, because the only link I know of is actually from Spaced to Shaun of the Dead, which is that um, yeah. Tyres appears for them. But apart from that, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's still a very loose trilogy. And actually, on this trilogy thing, um, I, I, what I do hope, because they've talked about doing a trilogy, and this is their trilogy, I, I, I'm left hoping that this isn't the last time that Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg and Nick yeah, Frost work together. it will be, because it's such a... I reckon they all really enjoy working together. And it works. Mm. I reckon, yeah. I, 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 do you know what, though? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see at least a five or six year gap. I mean, Peg and Frost have knocked up in films together, though, haven't they? I mean, they did Paul, which was, you know, yeah. I thought that was quite decent. It seems there's hmm. a fair gap between all three of these films. I mean, well, Hot, uh, Sean Le Dead was ten years ago now, wasn't it, roughly? Yeah, yeah there's so a fair four, gap yeah. between, you know, four or five year gap, I suppose. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I think Peg's getting doing lots of stuff in Hollywood, um, and obviously Edgar Wright is now getting lots of great offers in Hollywood as well. So getting the old gang back together to do a little British film, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me actually if if they have kind of gone, it might happen at some point in the future, but they've Are got they no plans. I still think it is a little British film. But I bet its box office in America does nothing. I bet I bet it does a tiny amount in America. It's it's still it's still a little it's still quite a little British film. It's uh it was a fifteen, so you've not got your your twelve A market there already, so you've already cut out a huge amount of your potential audience. Um which I which I admire. I'm glad they didn't go down that route. Um it's got British people. American people won't go and see Simon Pegg starring in a film. They'll go and see him being the funny sidekick to people like Tom Cruise or Chris Pine. Um, it, it is still a little British film, and I'm sure it was done for a, probably still a tiny budget compared to the kind of films there. Probably a tiny budget compared. Yeah, it's going to be a tiny budget compared, probably to uh, even to Scott Pilgrim. Oh yeah, Scott Pilgrim is quite a big, big thing though, isn't it? I mean, mm. that had a. And then it flopped horribly, which was such a dis- yeah. it's such a shame because it's such a great. But yeah, I, I just think that it's going to be difficult. 
I think Simon Pegg and Edgar I'm sure Nick Frost would happily make loads of them. I can't see Nick Frost becoming big Hollywood uh, uh, property. But I think that Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright have got a load of stuff on their plate. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't see another film from them in this kind of made in this way. Yeah, they might come back together, like Steve says, though, in you know, ten years, fifteen years down the line, where yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's a possibility well, then. Yeah. But in the immediate future, it looks like they're not going to be working together, which uh, is a shame. I mean, uh, it's a shame, and it's a nice way yeah. to send them off. I think least. that rounds off our discussion on uh, the world's end. Um, so we've just got one little bit more of the podcast to do, uh, where we're going to tell you what's happening next week and give you some recommendations. So our recommendations for next week to watch on TV or Netflix or whatever uh, are, well, mine is 1971, a science fiction film that has inspired many other sci-fi works, I'd say from Wally to Red Dwarf to Moon and many others I expect as well that people uh, on the podcast would be could list if they so wished. Yeah. Do you know what, Steve? I could probably watch Wally, Red Dwarf, and Moon on loop <laughs> for the rest of my life. That's, that's three fucking great yeah. examples. All inspired. Good work. By Silent Running, starring Bruce yes. Dern as a scientist uh, who is on a huge garden on a space station, um, created by to help basically sort the Earth out after we've all blown it all up with nuclear bombs and that. Um, but his bosses decide to sod off the project and he tries to save all the gardens that he's been looking after for so long. It's a, it's a great sci-fi film um, and you'll see where a lot of people got a lot of ideas for other films from as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's also one of Mark Commode's favourite films as well, so um, you're in good company. Uh, James, you are recommending... Uh- I'm going to recommend um, it, and this is quite apt actually, because soon we will. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We'll be running a corridor of praise for Sigourney Weaver uh, in the next six or seven weeks or so. So um, on Sunday on ITV3 uh, at nine o'clock is uh, the Oscar uh, nom- only nominated uh, film Gorillas in the Mist, uh, which stars Sigourney Weaver as the naturalist uh, Diane Fossey uh, about her work with mounting gorillas. Um, it's a beautifully shot film, a really, really good-looking film. Uh, but Sigourney Weaver pretty much carries it along with a load of gorillas. Uh, wonderful story, um, very moving, and a real example, actually, of 
the actress that Sigourney Weaver was because she did this in the mid 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 to late eighties, uh, just after she'd done a few Aliens films. It showed a lot of her range here. Actually, she's brilliant in it, uh, and it's it's a great film. Um, so yeah, Gorillas in the Mist. And Owen. Uh, okay, I'm going to pick a film. I the two that you guys have chosen actually, I had on my best films on TV. Uh, article on the website yeah, you did. and I picked film I tried to pick a lot of films that uh, I hadn't seen before and I haven't seen Silent Running I haven't seen Gorillas in the Mist and there's a film on Saturday which I'm looking forward to on BBC Two at 5 to 11 called The Kite Runner which was quite well received actually when it when it came out it was um, mm-hmm. it's about Amir um, who's a writer who lives in America but he goes back to Afghanistan where he grew up with his friend Hassan in the 70s and they both went on completely different paths. And I think it's to do with like the class of one of them. One Hassan's quite a sort of um, lower class to Amir, who ended up going on to be, like I said, a writer and stuff. So it's 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 supposed to be quite good. It was nominated for Golden Globe for Best Foreign Picture. Um, not sure how that happened. It's a it was an American film made by Americans. So <laughs> that's. A, the Golden Globes have always yeah, been a bit weird, to be honest. Yeah, I think just because it stars them yeah, foreign it's, types that it's, you know, it's a yeah. foreign film. <laughs> it's got exactly. some brand faces in it. <laughs> but, um, film. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Directed by Mark Forster yeah. as well, isn't it? Of <laughs> World War Z fame. So, yeah, it's good. Mm. I'm also going to just very quickly tie up um, something we mentioned earlier on in the podcast about Babe. Was the Yeah, Babe like a was um, a kid's film nominated for an Oscar in 1995. The next kid's film to get nominated was... Uh, up in 2009 James was right it was a Pixar film and then in 2010 Toy Story 3 got nominated as well so. and I will just say actually I feel a bit bad well, using the yeah. term kids film there because it's quite disparaging people use it as a disparaging yeah. term I mean, don't they films uh, are primarily made I yeah. think they're universal Fam- family, family maybe film, family yeah. film a family film that seems to be nicer I'd say Ops a family a brilliant film. one as well yeah and a fantastic one. Uh, I forgot to tell you all where you could watch Silent Running. It's on uh, Film 4 Friday at 10 past 5 or Film 4 plus 1 at 10 past 6. Excellent. And Film 4 HD. Yes. Oh, bastards, don't put it on Sky. Oh. Yeah. And what's coming up next week then? Okay, so next week we finally... Uh, unless something else happens to stop it happening next week. Uh, we're finally going to induct Studio Ghibli into our corridor of praise. Um, and the week after that is our World Cinema Special, which uh, details will be out of that shortly. Okay, so that's all for this week's podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Uh hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do, recommend it to people, because we always want more people to listen. And thanks to everyone who has contributed Uh, in any way through this podcast Uh, and we'll join you again this same time next week The Fail Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond hosted by Steve Norman with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com and you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at at failedcritics Um... But yeah, that that was one big news. And then kind of in terms of the big rivalry now, kind of a bit like Blur and Oasis or Spandau Valley versus Duran Duran, if you're my age, um, Marvel trying desperately not to be completely uh, topped by that. 
uh, announced a lot of information about the Phase 2 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So they showed some clips. James Gunn introduced some clips from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, I always Guardians get this wrong. Galaxy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I've, I've not seen those clips yet, but apparently they are very odd, funny, and seem very much in tone with the man who made films like Super and Slither. So it sounds like a very, very interesting uh, take, which would be fantastic. There, Joss Whedon announced that the title of the Avengers sequel is going to be called something about Ultra, Ult- the Age of Ultron. A- Age of Ultron. Yeah. Okay, then I mean, I've no idea who Ultron is. Who is Ultron? Big robot. Um, <laughs> a big robot. Okay, Steve. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> a big robot. Yeah. Basically, he's um, uh, a sort of intelligent robot who decides he's gonna wipe out. Humanity, Avengers, okay. yeah, it's interesting though that the, the part of the Age of Ultron story involves a character called Hank Pym, who you would probably you might not know if you don't read comics much anymore. That's a great comic book name, Hank as well, Pym. Isn't it? Yeah, he is yeah. Um, Ant Man and Giant Man, both of them. Okay. But Ant Man, the film, which is being directed by Edgar Wright, written with Joe yeah. Cornish isn't out until phase three of the Avengers. Yes. And mm. so it's interesting. I mean, I don't think Hank Pym, they've even said he's going to play a major part in Ant-Man. They're going to use um, different characters. So it's, it's strange. How they, it's almost like, I think, with the, the, the Age of Ultron announcement, they just had to throw something out there to try and wow mm. people as a, a sort of, well, the news is spreading around that there's going to be a Batman and Superman film. Yeah. We're going to have to try and top it. What can we do? Oh, we'll just get Joss Whedon to just announce down the microphone the name of the Avengers yeah. 2 film. Quite how it's yeah. going to work. I don't think they probably even know exactly yet. And <laughs> it's it's a bit difficult to speculate on it anyway. But I've got, yeah. you know, after after the Avengers Assemble film, which was brilliant, um, yeah. I, I am optimistic for it. I'm sure that'll I, do it I trust. I trust Whedon with anything i trust him with my life um <laughs> so so i know and 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 i am already starting to get quite excited about um phase three uh because that's going to be the earliest they've got time to do a, a new hulk film and i'm very excited to see what edgar wright does uh, with that kind yeah. of uh work as well so very excited about that then just one final thing there's a, a fantastic video which i'll i'll try and post alongside this podcast um when i post it up on the site but Marvel were there to show some footage. They showed some footage from the new Captain America film, The Winter Soldier. Which looks but, awesome, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that does. Because I wasn't a huge fan of the first film, but uh, it was quite good. But the uh, uh, second one, yeah, very, very excited about that. And also some footage from the new Thor film. And the Thor, uh, the first Thor film was the big surprise of Phase 1 for me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and to announce it, they had Tom Hiddleston come on stage as Loki <laughs> um, and basically grandstanded for eight minutes in character, uh, and including calling someone a mewling quim in the audience as well, which was just um, utterly fantastic. It, it's a, it just made me smile so much watching that video. So I'll post it up because at times you can see him struggling to keep a straight face and set, stay in character. But... Uh, it did remind me what a fantastic bad guy he is, <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm actually genuinely really looking forward to uh, uh, the new Thor film uh, later on this year. I, I think it's I think it's in November, so we'll be doing a main review of that. So that's pretty much it from Comic Con uh, as far as the big movie news goes. 
Excellent. So that's it for the news then. Uh, we'll be back briefly with uh, what we've been watching this week. We're back with what we've been watching. And uh, James, why don't you tell us what you have been watching? Okay, uh, this week I rewatched. Uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, uh, but we'll kind of come on to that later. And I haven't had time to watch another film apart from The World's End as well. So I just very, very quickly want to talk about a couple of pieces of television I watched. Uh, and I know we did the television special really recently, last week, wasn't it, or something? No, no, week before. But um, firstly, uh, I rewatched Chris Morris's Brass Eye 2001 Peter Geddon special tonight, uh, which I thought was very topical uh, as yesterday. Uh, David Cameron announced loads of measures to try and uh, block and filter the internet and stop child abuse mess- uh, images being shared and stuff like that. And it was just incredible watching a 12-year-old um, satirical comedy program completely hit the nail on the head. It had MPs talking ridiculous, or as in the pro- nonsense, um, and it was just incredible that. 12 years ago, this was a man who got MPs and celebrities and serious journalists um, talking absolute nonsense. My favourite one was always um, Dr. Fox, Dr. Neil Fox, the DJ, saying not doctor, that... Um, for those who don't know, not, not, not a real doctor. A doctor no. not a real, don't get to treat you for any... No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, get the record of music to you anyway. But yeah. Well, no, I, I wouldn't trust him with anything. But, yeah, my favourite bit of that is he's there saying that, um, scientifically speaking, uh, crabs share more DNA with paedophiles than humans do. (laughs) Um, And then he goes on to say, there's no real evidence for this, but it's scientific fact. And it's just, it's an incredible um, exercise in showing how you can basically persuade celebrities and MPs to say anything if they think it will make people think they're worthy and like them. So, that, that, you know, if you get a chance, if you've never seen Brass Eye Watch, it's one of the most incredible pieces of television ever, but that particular special is what I watch. But I do very briefly want to talk about a Netflix original programme, uh, which I discovered last week. It's only just come onto Netflix. It's available on all regions, like all Netflix original programming. And uh, it's called Orange is the New Black, and I wasn't, I, I heard about it, I wasn't too sure. Basically, it's based on a true life story, uh, a book by a woman called Pippa Kerman, who got sent to prison 10 years after she'd kind of had a bit of a, a wild youth. She used to smuggle money across borders for her girlfriend, who was an international drug lord, essentially. And then 10 years later, when she's got a nice, happy life and she's about to get married to someone, um, the law catches up with her, and so she has to go to prison. And it's about this very uh, middle-class white woman ending up in a pretty horrible uh, US penitentiary. It's 13 episodes long. It's on Netflix, so they've got no issues with language and things like that. And at times it does feel very much like... Um, like an HBO programme, actually. It's not quite Oz, you know, let's be, it's not as dark and as horrible as vi- and violent as Oz was. Um, but the great thing about it, actually, is it's a really, really strong female cast. It definitely passes the Bechdel test, which is the idea that two women in a film or TV programme should talk to each other and not about men. And if, if a film or TV programme can do that, it's 
not being sexist, essentially. It stars Taylor Schilling as Piper Chapman, uh, the main character. And it also is part of... Uh, it's got Jason Biggs in it. I wondered what happened to Jason Biggs. He plays her fiancé, who's kind of left on the outside. He's a writer. It it starts off slowly as a programme. Um, but by about the third or fourth episode, I was, I was genuinely quite hooked. It's not patronising. It actually does deal with issues of power and authority and the abuse of that power and authority as well. It uh, deals with issues of criminality, and the great thing about it is you get a kind of flashbacks to the backstories of a lot of the people who are in prison here. And it's not saying that they're all angels who've ended up in prison, but it's saying that a lot of these people are people who've made wrong choices. They're not essentially they're not all bad people, but they're people who've made mistakes, made wrong choices. Some of them dealing with it better than others. Uh, it's it's funny. Uh, and it's created by the woman who created Weeds, which I've never seen, but uh, I know a lot of people quite enjoyed that. Uh, it, like I say, 13 episodes available on Netflix uh, at the moment and definitely well worth your time. Um, and yeah, it, it deals with some stereotypes about women in prison, and that's as much as I'll say there. Uh, it's not afraid to show flesh and things like that, but it's but it's not sensationalized either. Uh it's got and it's got a lot of heart to it as well. So I I would definitely recommend it and I think Netflix are coming up with some very impressive original program. And just this year I've seen House of Cards, um Arrested Development season 4 and this and I've been very impressed by all of them. I've still not bought myself to watch the Eli Roth um Twin Peaks rip-off though. Okay. Um, Owen, what have you watched this week? Um I watched the film from 1973 basically on twitter last week i think it was actually on tuesday last week before we recorded the podcast i asked some people if they could just recommend me a creature feature to watch i was just in the mood for something that's just you know just a typical man versus nature film i ended up watching rogue but matt lamborn who has written for the website and is at matt underscore lamborn on twitter if you want to follow him um he recommended a film. He's our biggest fan, isn't he? We love that. He downloads it every week and comments and stuff. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, but he recommended me a film called... Uh, I'm going to pronounce it, and this is literally how it's spelled. It's it's called... Which is um, spelt with seven S's. That's that's what it's called. I think the alternative title, which makes more sense, is Snake. Um Right. But it's, yeah, Dana's online, so that's what it's called, which is kind of embarrassing to say. Uh, basically, it's a kind of educational creature feature, if I can sort of like that. You know when you're at school, and like primary school, did you ever have like people who came round and they just brought animals with them? Um, like you had an assembly once a, once a year or something, and they just brought like snakes and rabbits and stuff like that. I grew up in Devon. My school was a farm, essentially. <laughs> Fair so. enough. Okay, we used to have a guy who came came round, um, like during, I think it was like the end of year kind of thing. Um, that kind of guy who comes round with all the animals, he's basically mm-hmm. the mad scientist character in this film. He just has loads of snakes, and he's obsessed by snakes, but he's quite a friendly old man, basically. Okay. Not a goth, then. Not a goth, no. goths with lots of snakes. He's just, <laughs> yeah, he's just this old bloke, this old scientist who, you know, he's a nice guy. He's just stealing students and injecting them with serums to turn them into snakes. 
Nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, that's fine. He can do that if he's um, if that's what makes him it makes him happy. Um, yeah. <laughs> basically, he he hires a lab assistant who goes missing, and he takes on another lab assistant called uh, David, who starts to have a romantic relationship with the this scientist's daughter. Um. Yeah, but the whole film it's it's essentially just a man with lots of different snakes telling you about snakes and how these snakes should be cared for and why a king cobra is better than other snakes and why a black mamba is the most poisonous snake and occasionally there's a bit of uh, fighting occasionally there's a bit of a snake that bites somebody mostly though it is just an educational weird (laughs) kind of (laughs) half horror film half like study basically it's interesting (laughs) Is it like David David Attenborough on mescaline? <laughs> it's not even that good. It's, it's oh, literally no. <laughs> just a man from the zoo, the local zoo, who's turned up with some snakes. Um, they make a point that's quite nice, actually, at the start of the film. They say that all the snakes they use are real, and they thank the people who've loaned them all the snakes. And they make a point of saying that, you know, uh, we appreciate that all the actors in the film had to, you know, work with real animals and they had to be really patient and stuff. So it's quite interesting that they do that. But there are quite clearly... Oh, that's quite sweet. But yeah, but there are quite clearly moments in the film where it's just a big rubber snake. They make this bold claim that they're using real snakes, but then you've got him, like, throwing snakes out of a window. They're not real snakes. <laughs> they're just big rubber snakes. So, um, yeah. It was an interesting recommendation. I'll say that. So, to give Matt his dues, it was something a bit different. And I kind of did like it. It was a bit cheesy and it was a bit silly, but it, it was quite good fun, I guess. It was directed by a guy called Bernard Kowalski, or Kowalski, I suppose. Um, who, it's basically his only proper feature film, I think. He did a lot of other... He had films. one shot and he made an <laughs> educational snake film. <laughs> he, he blew it. But I had a look at his filmography that's on Wikipedia... He's got some brilliant names of some films that were... I don't know how completed they were or how successfully received they were, but stuff like Attack of the Giant Leeches. How good does that sound? Yeah, uh, that does sound... Unless it is another education. <laughs> about the man bringing in leeches talking about leeches. Yeah. Oh, but um, he got nominated for two primetime Emmys. Wow. What? I don't know. Okay. Oh, uh-huh. You know, he did episodes, I think, of like uh, Columbo and Airwolf and Knight Rider, so maybe he got nominations for that. But yeah, Snake. Um, it's a short film. Oh, that's positive. Ninety minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I say, interesting recommendation. It was. It was. That's nice. It's nice getting re- uh, listeners' recommendations. Um, we'll, we'll we'll always take them, and I know. I know Steve's been desperately trying to get people to recommend stuff for him on Twitter. And they have, but... And they have. I can't oh. watch it yet. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, if you, actually, yeah, from now on, if you've got anything you want any of us to watch, if it's all four of us, or if it is uh, a film you want a specific critic to watch, let us know on Twitter at FailCritics, because that, that could be quite fun. It could indeed. Uh, <laughs> it, could, it could just completely fall on its ass, but you know, no one would know. Okay, and this week I have watched the um, Oscar nominated, Oscar winning. Oscar nominated. Well, it did win Oscars, but only in technical Nom- categories. Yeah, nominated for nine Academy Awards, winning mm. Best Film Editing and Best Sound. Um, not 
awards that I pay any credence to. <laughs> God. But anyway, it is Apollo 13, directed by Ron Howard and starring Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton and Ed Harris. Um, um, Kevin Bacon in those stupid E adverts. It, that, that's one of his characters, isn't it? Yes. Apollo 13 astronaut. Yeah. Oh, fucking hate those. Really? I, I quite I, like Kevin I, Bacon, so I'm quite forgiving. I quite like Kevin Bacon, but it's, it's, do you know what? Normal people go to the cinema, what, once or twice a month at the yeah. most? And when you're going as often as we're going, I'm sick of them. I I, do you know what I don't like more than that? Is they've changed it now to like kind of computer ones, but them, them Wonga old people dummies. Oh, if I some, hate them. There's something yeah, out yeah, I, I just find them. uneasy. Because I always arrive at the cinema, I time it, so I arrive at the cinema after the adverts, but just as the trailers are starting, and I'm like, and then an EE advert comes on, it feels like it's breaking into my personal space, <laughs> I specifically time my journeys to avoid actual adverts. EE, you know? you're just racking up the, the things. And EE, then just hit me with else, it. So. Another broadband supplier, so. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Apollo 13, anyway. My, uh, as, as we try to reduce the amount of tangents we go off on. Yeah, <laughs> it's never gonna work. No. Apollo thirteen, uh, my it's it's okay, it's it's enjoyable, but I don't get why it's rated so highly. It's basically uh, they should put that on the poster. That's, that's brilliant, <laughs> yeah. brilliant little tagline. Uh, two awards, Steve pays no yeah. no credence to. <laughs> on, on you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an approval rating of ninety seven percent. Really? Is what? it really that? Yeah, that's what it says on the Wikipedia page. That, that's the problem. The problem. I like Rotten Tomatoes, but the problem you've got is that means ninety-seven percent of people thought it was worth sixty percent or more. Uh, so it's not that it's ninety percent. No, no, it means it's inoffensive. A weighted average score of eight out of ten. Yeah. So yeah, it's not a ninety-seven percent film. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's that a, makes it a yeah. Metacritic. So it's, a, it's an it's an eighty percent film. But yeah, when you see the Rotten Tomatoes things, all that means is that percentage of people thought it was worth six out of ten or more. Metacritic that. have it a seventy-seven out of a hundred. Mm. And IMDb's got it about seven point eight, seven point nine, hasn't it? Yeah. Is it really that good? Is it really an eight out of ten film? I mean. I'd say it's an 8 it, out of 10 it's, film. It's a similar kind of film to something like Deep Impact or Armageddon. It's set in space, things go wrong, it's a bit America, fuck yeah. Um, I'm not saying Armageddon and Deep Impact, that should be more highly thought of. There's some are blockbusters, they're good ones, they're entertaining, and they're about the level of what people should think of them, generally. If you took a you know a straw yeah. poll of general public, what they think of those films, that you'd probably get about right. But Apollo 13, no, I don't think... You know, obviously it's a true story, and it's a dramatic true story, and it's an interesting true story, and space is cool, and it always will be, but I don't think anyone in this film puts in a good, a great performance. They're all okay, they're all good, it's watchable. No, I don't think any of the main characters, you know, Tom Hanks, Ed Harris, are, are big, you know, well-respected actors, and so I suppose to some extent Kevin Bacon is as well. No one's really on top form in this, and it's neither directed, you know, on, by Ron Howard at his best either. I just don't understand why it's so highly thought of, but it's still worth watching. I just don't get the kind of, you know. That's fair enough. I think there's a I lot of films like... that end up like that. You know, they get a lot of. I mean, I've famously, quotation marks around famously. Yeah, moaned about crash before. You know, I don't understand yeah. why that is so 
Although I think Crash is horrifically bad. But it is. I'm with you, yeah. Well, it's it's one of those where you watch it and you think, well, what have the Academy seen in it, you know? Mm. And it's... Although we had this conversation off air, um, it, it it was nominated for Best Picture, but when you look at some of the other films it was nominated up against, and you've literally got um, Braveheart, which I think is a worse film than Apollo 13 for a lot of reasons. Um, Scotland fuck yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's um, not many films of that kind of... No, no, that's right. Il Postino, The Postman, which I've not seen. Sense and Sensibility, which is a decent enough film, but it's just it's essentially just uh, a period drama. You know, there's nothing uh, original or unique or anything about that. It's just a nicely made period drama. And Babe, uh, the the film about the, the sheep herding pig. Those were the five films that were nominated for Best Film that year. That must have been a, a different film called Babe that I'd not heard of. <laughs> Because I thought there's no way that a children's film about a talking pig could yeah. be... Not it's a great best. children's film about a talking pig, to be fair. Oh, yeah, and good. when you look at those five, actually, yeah, it certainly doesn't not belong in those films. I just think it was a terrible film, terrible year for film. Was it 96, I think it was, yeah. Uh, it been any other kids' films. 95. 95, released 95, so... Oh, so it'll be the 96 Oscars, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I wonder if there's been any other kids' films since Babe that have been nominated for an Oscar. Can't be many. I think one of the Pixar ones. Um, one of the Pixar ones has possibly two for best picture for best film. Picture. Yeah, um, Beauty and the Beast was the first ever yeah. Disney film nominated for best picture. Um, but I think one of the Pixar ones is. Do you know what? Um, we'll, we'll try and come back yeah, to that with you by the end of the podcast. We'll let you. We'll let you know. Independence Day was 1996. Yeah, that's never going to be Oscar. That's the thing. Apollo 13 is very much Oscar-based. 96 looked like a good year for uh, blockbuster action because the top four grossing films that year, Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible and The Rock. Yeah, none of those are going to trouble the Academy. (laughs) And The Rock is a great film. Rock is a great film. Um, Twister is not. I heard a good fact theory about The Rock the other day that Sean Connery's character in it is actually James Bond. Uh, but don't you have the theory that James Bond isn't one person, is a lot of different No, that's people. not my idea. Yeah. That's something else okay. that I've just read that's and, okay, and, that's fine. and found interesting yet flawed. Okay, that's good. I'd need to rewatch The Rock again and see if there's any connection there, or if you're just saying because it's it's an old Sean Connery. (laughs) He he plays a British kind of ex-secret service agent. Yeah, that's true. Okay, that's just anyway. (laughs) Just throw it out there, aren't you? Just just making giving chew on that, giving people thinking gum to chew on. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all for what we've been watching. So, I think yeah. So. <laughs> uh, the review of The World's End next. So, the main review this week was the final part of the Cornetto trilogy by uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. And they've all featured Nick Frost as well. Uh, has he had any writing credits for this or is he just you know, acting in it? I didn't see. It. I, I didn't see him down as a, a writer on this. No, no, I don't. I, I imagine he's had some a little bit of input anyway. But uh, anyway, 
Uh, yes, the final particle Nesso trilogy, written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Paddy Constantine, Martin Freeman, uh, Eddie Marsden, and others. And yes, it is the world's end. Here's a clip. Drink up. Let's boo boo. Boo boo. What is that? You remember Let's Boo Boo? You know, from Mr. Shepherd's classroom, it said on the wall, "Exit pursued by a bear." You know, from that Shakespeare play, A Winter's Tale. Yeah. What was it called? A Winter's Tale. That's it. And if we needed to make a quick getaway, we'd say, exit pursued by a bear. And then it was, exit pursued by Yogi Bear. And then it was just, let's Yogi and Boo Boo. And then, let's Boo Boo. So you're saying we should go? Yeah, it's shit here, isn't it? And so, yeah, that was uh, Simon Pegg uh, and Nick Frost uh, and the other lads in a pub chatting bants. Yes, and two things before we really get into the discussion on the film and the other works of this trio um first thing this brings to conclusion my summer preview of films i went comedy heavy i went the world's end i went this is the end i went 21 and over and two two hits and one neither hit nor miss i think i've done quite well there oh well yeah oh well let's see what we've got to say before we give this one the uh the hit seal of approval (laughs) i think me and owen want to Talk about the guy who completed Twitter this week. <laughs> yeah, no, James already completed Twitter ages ago, though, didn't he? Because of uh, old yeah. Action Jackson himself sending James a... Well, yeah, I, I am good Twitter buddies uh, with my man Carl Weathers. Uh, tells me to be peace, talks about stews once in my <laughs> life. And I, I saved the email notification I got and forwarded it to Owen the other day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm quite sad. But no, there was, there was genuinely someone yes. who... Um, yeah, awesome. His, his name jealous. is Oscar Tolast, and he's at Oscar Tolast on Twitter. He think he's a media student at Bournemouth University, uh, and he tweeted the World's End movie in Simon Pegg, saying Simon Pegg executes a perfect rock bottom in a fight scene in the World's End. Uh, and then he gets a reply from Simon Pegg, saying actually it's a people's elbow. Uh, Simon Pegg, confusing actually what happened in his own film, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, doesn't Nick Frost do a, a rock no, bottom? No, Nick, Nick Frost does a people's elbow. So oh, okay. Does a rock bottom. So, okay, all oh, right, yeah. It, through yeah. a urinal, I think. Oh, that's yeah, it, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, Simon it. Pegg tweets him back and says it's the most electrifying move in sports entertainment. You think, that's pretty good. You've got... You know, yeah. He's replied to your tweet. You've seen his film. You've loved it. And then Dwayne The Rock Johnson gets involved, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, it's then followed up by the famous Peg's flying lip lock, <laughs> uh, and they spoke about it in a in an interview I saw with with Virgin Movies or something that um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were both saying how big a WWE fans they were and um, how bigger the Rock fans they are, and, and apparently the Rock is a lovely man, according to them who've met. Him. So. That that seems very believable, really? actually. He does seem like a genuinely so, lovely so guy. So anyway, Oscar Toll asked you completed Twitter. Well done. <laughs> yes. So the film. Yes, the film. <laughs> uh, yes, Gary King, played by Simon Pegg, wants to get back all his mates from his youth to recreate the Golden Mile 12 pub, pub crawl through the hometown of Newton Haven. But it all goes a little bit wrong. Yep. 
the uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, the other thing is as well. It is the apparently the concluding part of the the Blood and Ice Cream, the Cornetto trilogy. And until today, I didn't realise that it was they actually had Cornettos for each film. Yeah. It was Strawberry mm. Cornetto for the first one, uh, and then the Blue Cornetto for Hot Fuzz, and this was the Green, the Mint Choc Chip. My favourite uh, Cornetto. Cornetto. Yeah, if Cornetto are listening and want to send me any. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, classily done there, yeah. Steve. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's the final one in in a, a loose, let's be honest, a loosely based trilogy. Um, I, I'm going to start off by saying that at, if you're expecting a Shaun of the Dead or a Hot Fuzz, um, laugh every minute genre pick, you, you you won't necessarily be disappointed, but you won't be getting what you expected. Mm, that's fair enough. I think it's um I suppose partly because Shaun of the Shaun of the Dead was a re- I mean if you look at it either as a, a comedy or as a zombie mm. film it is good as either of them you could recommend it to yes. people who are interested in watching one or the other but um, you could say yeah. the same as Hot Fuzz as a kind of buddy cop film and well. Hot, yeah, yeah exactly yeah they're very good at parody parodying and playing homage to a genre mm. at the same time. Yeah, but not just that. I think and, and hot... playing it's quite yeah, straight. Yeah, they play they play it out. Hot Fuzz is a. It's not taking the piss out of buddy cop films uh, in the same way that like Hot Shots took the piss out of Top Gun. Um, it genuinely is a uh, a buddy cop film. Shaun of the Dead genuinely is a zombie film. Um, and I th- whereas I think for me, The World's End is actually a film about friendship, it's about nostalgia, it's about male bonding with an alien replacement storyline tacked into it. That that was how it felt to me. I, it didn't feel like a genre pick to me, in the same way that, say, Attack the Block might do. No, it's kind of... In a way, it's the, the actual storyline of the film, the actual plot of it, it's more... It's got more to do with Stand By Me than it has with Invasion of the mm. Body Snatchers. That's, a, that's nice. Good, then. It made it up. <laughs> yeah. Think about that in advance. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still think it had quite a decent story. If you look at old... Oh, no, I, I, I like the story. I'm not... Well, yeah, I didn't... By saying tacked on, that makes it sound like it was an afterthought. It, it wasn't was at all. part of but the I, actual development of the characters yes. was to have this you know, invasion of the body snatchers-esque motive to the whole mm. thing. But I felt that I felt that the the alien plot was act was far it was it was a bit more um metaphorical. Uh it was I'm looking for my big long words that I used to use <laughs> at university and stuff like that. But basically it yeah, it was it was an analogy for things and it I I felt that in the previous films they were quite straight up. This is a body cop film. Um Shaun of the Dead was about friendship, um, but not to the extent that this film was. Uh, and I do think that, for me, the bits I enjoyed most about the film, apart from the incredible fight scenes, um, were uh, the, the bits I got from the film were actually around four, uh, five men who have kind of had such a strong bond at one point in their lives and have grown the, apart. In, in this uh, film, the characters are the best written they've ever been in anything that these these guys have done before, especially film-wise. Um, yeah. The, the characters are the best written, they've got the most depth. Especially, There's a couple that haven't really yeah. got... Martin Freeman's character hasn't got much depth to him. 
Um, but the other mm. four main characters have got quite a bit, and you end up, you know, they're, they're relatable as well. You can probably mm. pick, you know, you could probably look at any of the main four characters from the film and think, when I was 18, I had a mate like him, and if you didn't, you're probably mm. that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, no, definitely. And the thing is, I was watching this thinking, I, I know or knew a Gary King. Yeah. yeah it really, re- down to even the clothes <laughs> he was wearing, the things he would say, the inappropriate sexual double entendres and stuff. It was, it was actually quite scary. But, but, um, so you, how, and I grew up in Devon as well. So it was, you know, a lot of this film actually felt like, you know, the, the small town that you grew up in. And then you leave, you know, I'm in the big, big lights of Leicester now uh so yeah it's about you know you go away from your roots and then but you know someone's back there who could pull you back into that but part of me also thought wouldn't that just be brilliant because we've all had um incredible nights that are like highlights of our lives that as the years go by become dim and distant memories but in our heads we have kind of polished them we hold them up to be pinnacles of our youth and wouldn't it be great to go back and try and relive that? And I, so part of me, and I think this for me is one of the reasons I enjoyed the film so much is that half of me had absolute pity for Simon Pegg as Gary King. And half of me had real empathy and thinking, actually, yeah, I see what you're trying to do here. And that, that but there's also be a brilliant. reveal about Simon Pegg's character that we can't really say too much about. But it kind of justifies why he... Because he's an anti-hero in this, in 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 Hot Fuzz and yeah, in a hot in yeah. Hot Fuzz and Shaun the Dead, he's yeah. You know, at least at the end, he's kind of likable, um, you know, and yeah. he's, he's the hero of the film. In this, right yeah. to the end, he's a bit of a knob, but yeah, it ends up being, yeah. but, but it ends up being justified. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the key, isn't it? That in the end, it's well, that's just the kind of person he is, and you've got to just accept that's his personality, and not just him being a, and I, a knob. <laughs> I know some of the negative reviews of this film. They haven't been. It's not been overly negatively. I think it's still overall been positively reviewed. Um, but one of the things that has been a sticking point for some people has been that they haven't been able to get on with his character. And I th- and I had this problem earlier on the year, in this year with Flight, with Denzel Washington. And sometimes if you think a character is so much of a dick within the first half hour of a film that you hate him, no matter what happens in the rest of the film, it can't get you back. And I can see how some people may have yeah. struggled uh, with Simon Pegg in this film because he's, he's not like no, he's, he's very. I mean, if you think of like Shaun of the Dead again, just going back to another Edgar Wright film. Yeah. You know, in that film, um, you know, Nick Frost is. Nick Frost played kind that of character, kind of but he wasn't. Yeah. With a, with a heart, yeah. And I think the problem with Shaun in that film that was that he was exactly like Nick Frost. He just didn't want to admit it to himself that he was a loser. In yeah. Hot Fuzz, they go completely opposite. With you know to. the top end of yeah. the spectrum of the kind of characters they think they are, with Simon Pegg acting yeah. as the cool cop, and quite frankly, he is in Hot Fuzz, with Nick Frost as the sort of yeah. psychic. In this, they've, they've switched the roles around completely mm-hmm. again. So Nick Frost is now playing yeah. the straight character, and Simon Pegg mm-hmm. is the completely loserish, never Nick, really Nick, grew up kind of character. Nick Frost is essentially playing what the lead would have been in the other two films. That's right, yeah, and it's interesting yeah. they've they've 
they've sort of turned the dynamic around and had it that way for this film. I don't know whether that was just maybe Nick Frost got a bit sick of being stereotyped as the lazy slob character or whether Peg or, was just... or possibly it's just the fact that they've grown maybe they've grown up a little bit and maybe it kind of shows an element of how they've but, developed in their own life maybe they've bought some could, of their own but life I couldn't see this. Nick Frost playing a Gary, Gary King he's no a, he's, he's, uh, no he's a not a Gary kind King. of useless oath to what um, Ed is and to what um, Danny is in Hot Fuzz yeah but maybe he could. Maybe go. Yeah, I, I, it would. I, I was impressed with. I, I'll be honest. I was impressed with his range in this. I think, um, especially in some of the earlier scenes, he he puts in a really genuinely quite naturalistic performance mm. as well. Um, one bit that really stuck with me was his uh, quote near the beginning of the pub crawl, where he's explaining why he drinks water and actually why that makes him you know actually pretty hard uh, and, uh, and that was just a really nice little speech from someone about what it's like about masculinity what it's like to be a man and peer pressure and stuff like that. it was a great little speech and it was there was no joke in there it was just a there really was, was, nice was, bit of characterization like with eddie marzen his character was talking mm. about you know the bully at school who come and took a chair from their table mm. he's like he didn't even recognize me he made my life hell mm while we were at school and he just it, yeah. he didn't recognise it, it all just now yeah and wasn't it great to see Eddie Marsden in a role where you don't actually hate him <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite and he did he it really brilliant. well actually um, and and Pally Considine as well it, I think part of the key to this film for me was that you had some you had some genuinely good actors in there as well uh, and I think Eddie Marsden and Pally Constantine really kind of bulked up the the thespianism going on there uh, and, and that really really helped I I feel a little bit sorry for Martin Freeman because he's his, a great his actor his character actually. was I, the, out of the ones on the pub crawl his character in this was the the worst yeah. uh, it, the, the, the thinnest, thinnest. Yeah. Yeah. it was the maybe, thinnest maybe yeah, that was, the thinnest we can't really but... discuss why maybe that was a symptom of, of what happened to his character yeah well yeah uh, all I would say is it's you, it's going to be really difficult to get um, five really hugely well rounded characters with a load of interaction along with a body snatchers type plot mm. as well you know I think in the end possibly something had to go there and and I I just want to say I don't think it's Martin Freeman's fault because I've heard some people go oh look it's Martin Freeman playing Martin Freeman again in, and I this is the one thing that I've seen him in um, it, like as a major part that no point have I thought as Tim from The Office yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know you've had that issue even in, even the, in Hobbit. the Hobbit and stuff like that. And I still even think in that's the Hobbit, harsh. he'd make the same but... face like Tim would make when he was fed up. Like, that's <laughs> but he didn't do it in this film. In, in The World's End, he never made that kind of Tim from The Office face. No, he he was a more uptight yeah. character. He's a more uptight, yuppie style character. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he was. Well, he's yeah, a state agent. Of... Yeah, so. Um, so yeah, no, I, I just I just don't think his character was completely fully fleshed out. But you know, I think I'm I'm starting to pick a few mm. holes in it, and there were some flaws. And I do think some of the early dialogue actually between the characters just felt like it was made up. They filmed it and moved on, and there was a little bit of clunky dialogue yeah, I, that just didn't I, I think sit right for it me. It didn't really get properly going. I mean, we had 
you had the opening bit where they were all young, being narrated by by Gary King, and then you had yeah the the bit in the car where they got to the train station and they all got in the car. But the bit, the that, yeah, that was a great. The, bit, the bits in between oh, yeah. that, and then the bit when they got to Newton Haven until about the third or fourth pub, I thought it was a bit. It, it wasn't that good, but as soon as they hit kind of the third or fourth pub, as soon as they hit their stride on the pub, like a night out, Steve. As soon as they hit the third exactly. or fourth pint, it boom. was it was well on its way, and it was it ended up being <laughs> you know a, a, a worthy part of the Cornetto trilogy. Two things we've not really spoke about, but we should, um, because we've it's a comedy first and foremost, mm-hmm. and we've not really spoke about how funny it is. So probably probably. Um, I, do you know what? Because I, we, I've kind of slightly ignored um, Jerry because Jerry has emailed his thoughts in here. In, interestingly, and I'm going to start off with Jerry's thoughts with this because this surprised me. Jerry thought it was slightly better than the previous two films in terms of laughs, um, but he thought in terms of story it got quite poor as it went on. Personally, I thought this was the least funny yeah. of the three, but but I got I got. It, once I'd adjusted what type of film I was going to be watching, um, it mattered less to me. Um, I don't know what you guys. It thought. wasn't. It wasn't as funny as the other two, I don't think. But it was still very funny, and I, I would have been, I wouldn't have cared how good the story was and how good the characters were written if it wasn't funny, because I want. Well, no, true. Like, true. I don't know. It, I kind of think it still needed that. When it was funny, which you know, it wasn't as often as something like Hot Fuzz, which is just a, a laugh every two minutes. Mm. The, when this was yeah. funny, it was very funny, I think. Mm. Some of the, the visual mm. gags in it in particular worked just yeah. better I, than any of the others. I think the fight scene where, where Gary King's just trying to drink a pint throughout the whole fight. G- brilliant choreography, isn't that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, that's something else um, Jerry said, and something I completely agree with. Um, the fight scenes were absolutely fantastic. Uh, Jerry said he thought that it benefited greatly from Wright having done Scott Pilgrim, and I do think the fight sequences in Scott Pilgrim, you could definitely see it was the did, same did guy you, doing these you, fight um, sequences. I've just read that uh, the stunts were coordinated by Brad Allen, who's part of Jackie Chan's uh, <laughs> team. Uh, wow. That would explain it, yeah. Okay. That would explain a lot of the kind of the close yeah. combat ones, the, yeah. the first fight that kicks off inside yeah. a gent's toilet. You know, really, really close. And in fact, it, that reminded me a little bit I, of the raid I as well. Um, from Edgar Wright, who said in a, a Jackie Chan film called Drunken Master, Jackie Chan has to get drunk to fight. But this, uh, this is more the idea of Dutch courage. You know, when you're kind of drunk and you think I can climb up that scaffolding, or we're just impervious to pain. Uh, these, this is yes. one of the things we talked yeah. about. The idea that you become better fighters the more oiled you get. <laughs> drunken boxing, yeah. Is a... like... Yeah. I've got Drunken Master. I've still not. I've got Jackie Chan's Drunken Master. It's one of my favourite films of 1978, I think, when we did our 70s podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's what I picked it up at a car boot sale after you'd mentioned it. So, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I, I think we do need to talk about the fight sequences because they're really well done. And do you know what? They were really inventive as well. Um, and there was there was a there was a scene in a beer garden mm. with um, some twins, um, and all of a sudden, like something happened in the fight. You go, oh my god, that's just <laughs> mental. Uh, and but it works. And do you know what? It looked good. It didn't look cheap at any point. 
Um, they've clearly got a bit of budget to do some stuff with, but Edgar Wright has become really quite adept at filming these fight sequences. And they were really enjoyable fight sequences, and I didn't mind them going on for a little bit. And yeah, they're, they're great. I've never seen bar stools <laughs> used so brilliantly in a, in a fight sequence as well. And there was there was a kind of element of Nick Frost doing Hulk smash there, which was just fantastic. And, it was, um, and yeah, and mixing in the wrestling moves as well. And the, as Jerry said, the big daddy kind of drop on uh, that Nick Frost does on someone as well, breaking their back. Really, really enjoyed the fight sequences. I, I think they were great. But going back to the humour, Owen's right. It, yeah, it it still needed to be funny, and when it was funny, it was brilliant. A few things did fall a little bit flat at times, um, but I get the impression actually that this is a film which will improve on I mean, repeat I, viewings. I like the it wasn't I, obviously the end scene, but where they actually confront the network. I think that's brilliantly funny, yes, and it's not often yeah. in a kind of alien invasion film, even yeah, even a serious one where you get them actually confronting them. You get you know all out war or a fight. You don't really get them kind of yeah. saying, "Why do you really want to come here and take us over in the first place?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And there was yeah. I think it. it do you know what? Towards the end, it reminded me a little bit of Cabin in the Woods, where it kind of just mm. went batshit mental for just for the sheer hell of it and but and i think if you go along with it brilliant uh some people might go oh what really but i i i really enjoyed it but again going back to um the idea that it for me still it wasn't necessarily about the alien invasion that for me it was about five men who have grown apart and dealing with their inadequacies and things while an alien invasion is happening um, and that was, I think that was why it was, for me, it's their most ambitious film to date, and it has some flaws, but I think it might end up being my favourite film of the three. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I think it was a very good film, but like, as far as the story goes, yeah, it's, it's a great story. I appreciate it probably will improve even more on a repeat, repeat viewing. I still think Shaun of the Dead probably just gets the blend of comedy and story right, and if I wanted to just watch one that was funny just because I was, you know, I don't know, just in the mood for a comedy, Hot Fuzz would still probably go on ahead of it. So I'm not sure quite what, what kind of category I'd rank it better than the other two in, you know? I, I, I see that. I think Shaun of the Dead is actually a pretty much perfect film. I, I genuinely believe... Shaun of the Dead's a five-star film for me every day of the week. Uh, and you're right, it's got the exact right blend of um, zombie film, comedy... Um, actual good believable mm. romance as well um yeah that this uh, it could be like this i think might be my favorite in terms of because of my personal connection with it I, it just it made a personal connection part of that as well is down to the soundtrack which just really so, kind of took me back there was everything they do is great but this yeah. one was this one just just this smacked me in the face with my youth. It really did. Just there's just track after track. The bit where they walk into um, uh, Newton Haven to Swade's so young it was just that. I, I just, it transported me um, I, back I, to my own youth, and it was such. It was so powerful. I like them bookending um, the film really with uh, Loaded by Primus. Yeah, great. Yeah, that was nice as well. And, you know, so many of the tracks, actually, are really cliché tracks from that area. Loaded's yeah. one of those cliché tracks. Fool's Gold, 
Um, the uh, mm. Step On by Happy Mondays. All really cliche. But do you know what? It, just it reminded me here. like of a Danny Boyle um, film. You know, like with um, 127 mm. Hours or something, which is just full of like Britpop. Yeah. <laughs> it just it, you'd think that can't yeah. really work because yeah, exactly. that is just you know a bit yeah. unsubtle, but it and does. It's just. It does, and there's the moment when they're in the car, and this is the moment when I, when I saw my bit of Gary King was when they're like, oh, I'll put this on tape for you, and you realise he's been listening to the same yeah. music for the last twenty years, and you know I came out of the cinema and I went onto my phone and yep, there's my Britpop <laughs> playlist for whenever I just want to listen to my pulp, and you know it had um, pulp, it had Jay. the soundtrack made that connection, and that's why I think I don't think this is a better film than Shaun of the Dead, but. As things stand, tomorrow I'd watch this over Hot Fuzz. And it may be because I've seen Hot Fuzz a lot, but I'm, des- put it this way, I'm desperate to watch this again. And uh, Les Mis is the only film I've seen twice in the cinema this year. And every other film I've... You know, even the films I've really enjoyed, I've not wanted to go back and watch it the same week. But this I actually want to go and watch again. And part of that is because I want to go and pick up on... A, clearly there's going to be loads of stuff I've missed. Uh, there's going to be loads of stuff that uh, you miss the first time around, like with loads of their work, really deeply textured stuff, little in-jokes you don't notice it's the first time. It's their work, um, isn't um, it? Mm. But it's not yes, like heavy-handed yeah. meta as community. Right? In your... No, no, there's really, really light touches. And there's the famous one in Shaun of the Dead where right at the beginning, um, when they talk about going to the pubs and the drinks they're going to have, they're essentially telling you the story of yeah. what's going to happen in the film, where they talk about having Bloody Marys and shots at the Winchester. And, you know, and, that, and you wouldn't notice that until you went back and watched it a second time and go, ah, or maybe even a third or fourth time, you finally pick up on that little bit. And I am certain there are, far, there are loads of um, parallels between their original pub crawl and the pub crawl that takes place that I just wasn't able to spot the first time. Yeah, you, I want to go back and watch it. Do you think there be connections between the names of the pub and what happened in some of in the pub? Yeah, exactly. So I think that I think it's going to be rewarding um, like that. And the other thing is, I want to go into it with my expectations of I'm not going to watch the sequel to Hot Fuzz as well because I want to see if that. Because I'll be honest, I first watching first thing as soon as the credits rolled, I was like. I quite enjoyed that. It wasn't as funny. It wasn't quite as funny as I was expecting, though. And bits of it have permeated over the last 24 hours in my mind, and and I've changed my mind without actually seeing it again. I need to go in and think. Right, I'm going in to watch this, you know, coming of age stroke, looking back over your lifestyle story, uh, and I want to see that again. So I, the fact that I really want to see it again, the same week I've seen it once already, to me says that this could end up being my favourite A couple film. of things, really, before we finish talking about this film now. Um, what do we make of the epilogue? Well, obviously, we can't go into it too much because we'll end up spoiling it for people. But there was an epilogue. Um, what do we make yeah. of it? I I can't quite get my head around it at the moment. I can't work, I don't think it works for me, personally. I liked it, but I like things being quite... Tied up I, and I would have tied it up and explained so. it differently, I think, but I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> well, I know we know you're on your way out to Hollywood soon already. Um, no, I, I liked it and it had some nice imagery, mm. um, and it, and in a way it tied in a little bit with the one of you know a couple of the themes that have been running through the whole uh, story. So no, I, I'm, some people won't like the epilogue at all, but I, 
Yeah, I, I felt still concluded everything, didn't it? It was, it was very different. It was very, very different in tone, pretty much to anything they've ever done. Yeah. But I, I was happy with that. Um, the other thing as well, really good cameos in there as well. Uh, and Jerry mentioned this. He really liked seeing a lot of the cameos. You had um, Alice Lowe and Steve Oram from Sightseers yeah. in yeah. a couple of di- uh, some roles, um, which was great. Uh, Reece Shearsmith was in it. Uh, Michael Smiley was in it. Yeah. You know, so it's um, that. Yeah. There, in fact, there was a load <laughs> of Ben Wheatley people essentially, yeah. and it wasn't there, uh, which was great. Um, there's one or two kind of bigger name ones that I don't, it won't go into, but when you see them, you go, oh yeah, that's great fun. And also right at the beginning when. Did you notice right at the beginning when uh, Gary is in an AA meeting talking about the greatest night of his life kind of thing, um, sat next to him is Mary from Shaun of the Dead. Oh, I didn't notice that, no. Yeah, sat right next to him is um, yeah Bloody Mary who turns up in the garden on the, in the, on the morning of Shaun of the Dead. And I thought that was... And again, that was a really nice touch. I'm waiting for I them to like reveal the now that there has been some underlying thread or common thing or character somehow some link between... Because none of the films are linked. But I'm waiting for them to blow our no. minds and say, actually, they are. Look, this is what's happened. Yes. Yeah, because the only link I know of is actually from Spaced to Shaun of the Dead, which is that um, yeah. Tyres appears in them. But apart from that, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's still a very loose trilogy. And actually, on this trilogy thing, um. I, I, what I do hope, because they've talked about doing a trilogy, and this is their trilogy, I, I, I'm left hoping that this isn't the last time that Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost work think together. It will be because it's such a. I reckon they all really enjoy working together, and it works. Mm. I reckon. Yeah. I, I, do you know what though? I wouldn't. I would be surprised to see at least a five or six well, year gap. I mean, Pegg and Frost have locked up in films together, though, haven't they? I mean, they did Paul, which was. You know, yeah. I thought that was quite decent. It seems. There's a fair gap between all three of these films. I mean, well, Hot, uh, Shaun of the Dead was ten years ago now, wasn't it, roughly? Yeah, so the fair gap yeah. between, you know, four or five year gap, I suppose. Between. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Peg's getting doing lots of stuff in Hollywood, um, and obviously Edgar Wright is now getting lots of great offers in Hollywood as well. So getting the old gang back together to do a little British film, I. I'd, it wouldn't surprise me actually if if they have kind of gone. It might happen at some point in the future, but they've Are got they no little plans. Films got now? No I still they, think it is a little British. If, but I bet its box office in America does nothing. I bet I bet it does a tiny amount in America. It's it's still it's still a little it's still quite a little British film. It's uh it was a fifteen, so you've not got your. Your 12A market there already, so you've already cut out a huge amount of your potential audience, um, which I which I admire. I'm glad they didn't go down that route. Um, it's got British people. American people won't go and see Simon Pegg starring in a film. They'll go and see him being the funny sidekick to people like Tom Cruise or Chris Pine. Um, it, it is still a little British film, and I'm sure it was done for a, probably still a tiny budget compared to the kind of films that probably a tiny budget compared yeah you know, it's going to be a tiny budget compared probably to uh, even to Scott Pilgrim oh yeah Scott Pilgrim is quite a big big thing though wasn't it I mean mm. that had a uh, and that flopped horribly which was such a dis- yeah. it's such a shame because it's such a great but yeah I, I just think that it's going to be difficult I think Simon Pegg and Edgar I, I'm sure Nick Frost would happily make loads of them. I can't see Nick Frost becoming big Hollywood 
property. But I think that Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright have got a load of stuff on their plate. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't see another film from them in this kind of made in this way. Yeah, they might come back together, like Steve says, though, in you know, ten years, fifteen years down the line, where yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's a possibility well, then. Yeah. But in the immediate future, it looks like they're not going to be working together, which uh, is a shame. I mean. Uh, but, it's a shame, and it's a nice way yeah. to send them off. I think least. that rounds up our discussion on uh, the world's end. Um, so we've just got one little bit more of the podcast to do, uh, where we're going to tell you what's happening next week and give you some recommendations. So our recommendations for next week to watch on TV or Netflix or whatever uh, are, well, mine is from 1971, a science fiction film that has inspired many other sci-fi works. I'd say from Wally to Red Dwarf to Moon and many others, I expect as well, that people uh, on the podcast would be could list if they so wished. Yeah. Do you know what, Steve? I could probably watch Wally, Red Dwarf, and Moon on loop <laughs> for the rest of my life. That's, that's three fucking great yeah. examples. All inspired Good work. by Silent Running, starring Bruce yes. Dern as a scientist uh, who is on a huge garden on a space station, um, created by to help basically sort the Earth out after we've all blown it all up with nuclear bombs and that. Um, but his bosses decide to sod off the project and he tries to save all the gardens that he's been looking after for so long. It's a, it's a great sci-fi film um, and you'll see where a lot of people got a lot of ideas for other films from as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's also one of Mark Commode's favourite films as well, so um, you're in good company. Uh, James, you are recommending... Uh- I'm going to recommend um, it, and this is quite apt actually, because soon we will be running a corridor of praise for Sigourney Weaver uh, in, in the next six or seven weeks or so. So um, on Sunday on ITV3 uh, at nine o'clock is uh, the Oscar uh, nom- only nominated uh, film Gorillas in the Mist, uh, which stars Sigourney Weaver as the naturalist uh, Diane Fossey uh, about her work with mounting gorillas. Um, it's a beautifully shot film, a uh, really, really good-looking film. Uh, but Sigourney Weaver pretty much carries it along with a load of gorillas. Uh, wonderful story, um, very moving. And a real example, actually, of the actress that Sigourney Weaver was because she did this in the mid 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 to late 80s uh, just after she'd done a few Aliens films. It showed a lot of her range here, actually. She's brilliant in it, uh, and it's, it's a great film. Um, so, yeah, Gorillas in the Mist. And Owen? Uh, okay, I'm going to pick a film. I, the two that you guys have chosen, actually, I had on my best films on TV uh, article on the website. Yeah, you did. And I, picked film, I tried to pick a lot of films that uh, I hadn't seen before, and I haven't seen Silent Running, I haven't seen Gorillas in the Mist, and there's a film on Saturday, which I'm looking forward to, on BBC Two, at 5 to 11, called The Kite Runner, which was quite well-received, actually, when it, when it came out. It was um, mm-hmm. 
it's about Amir, um, who's a writer who lives in America, but he goes back to Afghanistan where he grew up with his friend Hassan in the 70s. And they both went on completely different paths. And I think it's to do with like the class of one of them. One Hassan's quite a sort of um, lower class to Amir, who ended up going on to be, like I said, a writer and stuff. So it's 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 supposed to be quite good. It was nominated for Golden Globe for Best Foreign Picture. Um, not sure how that happened. It's a it was an American film made by Americans. So <laughs> that's. A, the Golden Globes have always yeah, been a bit weird, to be honest. Yeah, I think just because it stars them yeah, foreign it, types, that it's, you know, it's a yeah. foreign film. <laughs> it's got exactly. some brand faces in it. <laughs> but, um, film. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Directed by Mark Forster yeah. as well, isn't it? Of <laughs> World War Z fame. So, yeah, it's good. Mm. I'm also going to just very quickly tie up um, something we mentioned earlier on in the podcast about Babe. Was the Yeah, Babe like a was um, a kids' film nominated for an Oscar in 1995. The next kids' film to get nominated was... Uh, up in 2009 James was right it was a Pixar film and then in 2010 Toy Story 3 got nominated as well so. and I will just say actually I feel a bit bad well, using the yeah. term kids film there because it's quite disparaging people use it as a disparaging yeah. term I mean, don't they films uh, are primarily made I yeah. think they're universal Fam- family, family maybe film. family film a family film that seems to be nicer I'd say Ops a family a brilliant film. one as well yeah and a fantastic one. Uh, I forgot to tell you all where you could watch Silent Running. It's on uh, Film 4 Friday at 10 past 5 or Film 4 plus 1 at 10 past 6. Excellent. And Film 4 HD. Yes. And oh, bastards, don't put it on Sky. Oh. Yeah. And what's coming up next week then? Okay, so next week we finally... Uh, unless something else happens to stop it happening next week. Uh, we're finally going to induct Studio Ghibli into our corridor of praise. Um, and the week after that is our World Cinema Special, which uh, details will be out of that shortly. Okay, so that's all for this week's podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Uh hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do, recommend it to people, because we always want more people to listen. And thanks to everyone who has contributed Uh, in any way through this podcast Uh, and we'll join you again this same time next week The Fail Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond hosted by Steve Norman with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com and you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at at failedcritics